You're listening to The C-Dub Show. Visit us on the Say Something Nice podcast network at ssnpodcast.com. Follow us at The C-Dub Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And now, on to our show. Welcome to Oscar's Barbershop, named after my daddy who passed it on to me. It's been a part of Washington, D.C. a long time. This is me, Clifton Curtis, my own boss and loving every minute of it. And this is my little sister, Tracy, and her husband, Leonard. This is my best friend, happy-go-lucky Earl. And this wonderful person, well, that's my mama. Hello, everyone, everyone. It is our Mother's Day edition of the C-Dub Show. So we are recording this on Sunday. I almost said Sunday, June the 13th. This is what happens when you look at your calendar before the show. What is today? It's not June. It's May, it's oh. May the 13th. Oh, oh sorry, y'all. It's Sunday, May the 13th, and it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Courtney. Both of the Courtney's. Happy Mother's Day. To y'all. Thank you, girl. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we appreciate y'all a little bit. All right. Um, <laughs> okay, so it is Mother's Day, um, and I am at home because my mother is in Louisiana. Um, but I do have her on the line. We'll bring her on the line in just a little bit. And we have B. Willis, who has celebrated her mom yesterday and is off doing teacher stuff. But she is with us for a little while. Say hello to the people, B. Willis. Hello, people. And Courtney, who, Courtney and Caleb, who, well, Courtney, we're not going to say Caleb. I don't want to put this on him. But this is the second episode where Courtney is drinking while she records the show. She is off at brunch <laughs> with her mother. Say hello to the people's drunk Courtney. What's going on, people? See, he told you she's drunk. We we can't take anything she says right now to heart. Look, I'm look. This, this the mom turn up, Bellinis and all types of stuff. Well, where is Caleb? The mom turn up. He's right here watching videos on my mom's phone. Oh, okay. I thought you said that Joe turn up was gonna be uh, losing Caleb for a day. I'm about to lose him in a second. What you mean? Oh, sis. Today ain't number. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm about to dip off on him real quick. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Ever since, look, ever since uh, Courtney's mom moved to Oakland, Caleb hasn't appeared on the show that often. We haven't done one yet <laughs> since they've been back. Oh, no. Yes, we have. He's he been gone a couple of weekends. Yeah. 
All right, folks. Well, so it is our Mother's Day edition. Um, the theme music for today was from a favorite TV show of mine when I was a little kid because I'm a TV nerd. It was the 70s sitcom called um, That's My Mama, clearly, because that's what the song. Who, who is that playing music in the background? What is that? Oh, I'm going to mute myself because Caleb is watching music videos because he watching Bruno Mars. Okay, and yeah. I don't want <laughs> Carolyn to try to fire him and it turned into a war. Yeah, so yeah, go ahead and mute yourself. All right, so that was the theme song from the, the 70s t- hit TV. I shouldn't say hit. It was on for three seasons. TV show, That's My Mama, which I used to watch at midnight when my mama told me that I was supposed to be asleep. Um, and it starred Clifton Davis from Amen and Teresa Merritt from The Wiz and Ted Lange from The Love Boat. But... Oh, and also Theodore mm-hmm. Wilson, the the honor thespian from the seventies, who also played uh, what was it, the name of the pimp on uh, on Good Times? Uh, Sweet Daddy. He also played Sweet Daddy. Sweet Daddy. And yes. He, and he also had the tour de force performance as the Doobie Brothers bootlegger on What's Happening on the the two episode <laughs> the two episode Doobie Brothers arc. Of what's happening? <laughs> I love Mr. Theodore Wilson. Woo! That man can act. He can play anything. <laughs> um. So yeah. So it's Mother's Day. Before we get into, we did say last week we are gonna do our dear white people. I'm calling it the dear white people black mamarific spoiler review. But before we get into Dear White People, I wanted to give all of our cast members a moment to just talk about honoring their mothers. Um, Courtney, can you unmute yourself and talk about honoring your mother for just a second? Or is Caleb still watching the video? Or maybe she muted herself all the way together. Okay. Well, B. Willis, what did you No, I didn't. I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay. What did you do to honor your mother and what do you love about your mother? Oh, I think so. What I think so, we I took her out to to brunch at this place called Plate back in the day. I used to work at a place called Pecan, and the owner opened up a newer, little smaller joint in Hayward. Since they live out here, um, I took her and my dad out. Um, I think I would say the most thing I love about her is like she's a really amazing grandmother, so Caleb. Because, like, I need that support right now in my life as I'm trying to, like, grow and do things in the community. So, like, I really appreciate, like, the love that she gives to him on that on that level. It's, like, really amazing. She's, like, really patient and, you know, takes very good care of him. Probably better care of him than I do because I'll be like, hey, look at your ass up. You're fine. She's just really doting. So, I really I pre- I appreciate her loving my baby probably more than I do. Aww. Thank you, Caleb's grandmama. Okay, B. Willis, how did you honor your mother and what do you love about your mother? How did I honor my mother? Um, We really just did something like really light, nothing big. Uh, me, my sister suggested that we take her out to dinner and she wanted to see this movie called Life of the Party, which was so <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> with Melissa with Melissa McCarthy. But we saw it and um, we went out to eat yesterday. Um, 
that was pretty much it. We didn't do nothing like too too big. We just hung out with me, my sister, my mother. Um, and one thing that I love about my mom, I I think, uh, one thing I love now is um the wisdom that she gives me. I think the older that I've gotten, the closer we've gotten, and the more we've talked about things and a more transparent she's been with me um and um anytime i anytime something new or challenging or scary is happening in my life i'll go to her and and we'll talk about it and she has she's she's very wise so i appreciate that thank you is it mama ramsey thank you mama ramsey oh Okay, uh, Courtney, you can take take out your earphones while I honor my mama, and then you, when when it's time to talk, and you put it back in. Can you do that? Yeah. Hold okay. on. Here we go, Mama. Yeah. Okay, I love my. Well, first I didn't. So here's the problem with honoring my mama. <laughs> my mama don't like nothing. <laughs> she don't like flowers. She don't like cars. All my mama ever wants is books. So I'm going to honor my mama by buying her a gift card to Amazon. Because if I borrow anything else in that, she's not going to want it. She's going to send it back. And that's how she <laughs> It's true. What did she say? She said it's just going to sit there. It's just going to sit there. My mama, she just want, my mama only want books. I appreciate oh, my, my What did she say? No, oh, she said she wants what she wants. This is true. I appreciate my mother because she, of course, Foster a love. Actually, she forced me to love books. My mama, when I was little, I used to always want to be in my mama's face. But my mama loved books. So she started just buying me books. She bought me the Babysitter's Club. And it was like, here, read this book. And I've been reading with my mama ever since. So I appreciate my mama for fostering my love for books. I appreciate that anything that I any anything that I was curious about, she would go out and buy me a book for it. Like last week, we talked about my love for Motown. So this is so every year I would get a new Motown memorabilia book. That's why I know so much Motown crap. I didn't cuss, mm-hmm. Mama. I didn't cuss. <laughs> every year my mama bought me new whatever it was Motown. Um, if there was a if it was a particular organization, when I got got obsessed with the Black Panther Party, she started buying me Black Panther books all the time. She just made sure that I was very interested in education and learning. Um, also, though, my mama is also the reason why I can be a nervous wreck because my mama is a nervous wreck. I remember when I almost didn't graduate from college and I was like, well, mama, I can't pass math. And she was like, well, just tell the people that you graduated and we done with it. I was like, mama, that is not good advice. <laughs> so that is why I love my mama. And I'm glad that my, to have my mother and my grandmother on the Is grandmother there? Grandmother sitting right here. Okay, put your headphones back in. Or should I know? I should honor my grandmother first too, because if I don't, she'll be angry. I love my grandmother because grandmother always gives great wisdom, and grandmother gives the bless the best black woman wisdom because it don't always necessarily be completely accurate, but it makes such good sense and it be right. And you be like, grandmother, you are right. She'll be like, grandmother, she'll say, I'll say, grandmother, I'm so sad, I'm broke. And she's like, well, look at all the stuff that you got. You're not really broke. You just got, you know, you got what you want. I said, that's true, grandmother. You're right. So I appreciate my grandmother. Is she still there? She's here. Okay, good. Okay, now you can put the uh, the headphones back on. 
Okay, I'm putting the headphones back on. <laughs> okay. Ask, did grandmother or grand and mama want to say something? That's why I said that they wanted to be on. I know my grandmother always asked me questions about the podcast and what a podcast is. Hi, grandmother. Okay, hold on. I'm gonna let her hold the phone then. You want mama or you want grandmother? You can give my mama first. Okay, I guess mama first. Hello. Hi, mother. Welcome. This, this hey, is there. is this your second time on the show? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I, we just wanted to let you know that we appreciate you, and we hope that you are enjoying hearing your child um, talk about crazy stuff on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's pretty interesting that the take you all have on everything, and it it shows an age difference. Mm-hmm. It shows a, a the difference in. The, the times because what I would I accept a whole lot of stuff that I wouldn't you would you all wouldn't accept and that's because that was what we did hmm. so I'm glad to hear from you all but okay. you all do have a very unique take on a lot of things hey mama last week we talked about uh my obsession with Motown 25 and we, yes. and we talked about how um, it, it became the growth of my love for pop culture and why I became such a music historian and do a lot of things that I do. Do you agree with, with that perception, being my mama and having to buy all this stuff? Having to buy all that stuff and having to listen to all that stuff? Yes. 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 <laughs> having to listen to to stuff that, I, to be honest, I had no interest in. Thanks. All right, mama. I'm I'm sorry. You know you know me and you know <laughs> me and Michael Jackson and Barry Gordy and all the folks. Like, but now you did so as that's what a mother does. It's like going to all those soccer practices with Courtney because that's what she wanted to do. This is true, and all all the so theater theater performances that she didn't want to come to. That, that's right, and having to. Go and sit up all night one night because somebody signed me up to be a chaperone at a practice. This I forgot true. which one of you all did that. You are, I mean, one of you signed me up to practice for when you all were doing work. Nobody asked me if I wanted to go. <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having flashes of my future of, oh, by the way, mom, tea is 50 cupcakes in the morning. I signed you up to make them because I like I like when you make me cupcakes or something crazy like that. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm making, uh, what am I making tomorrow? I'm making Rice Krispie squares tomorrow. Why? Because I feel like it. Um, <laughs> bye, 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 mama. Can you hand the phone to my grandmother? Because we got we to gotta get that spoilerific <laughs> review. And I just, I don't have no time. I don't have oh, no time. Somebody has a little boy. Who is that has a little boy? That's Courtney. That's, the, that's, that's Oakland, Courtney. I have a little boy. He's how old? He's three. Oh, you got a long time. I got one. <laughs> you got a long but time. If, if you if you ask your children, they'll they'll let you know. He he already gives me the business, so he does. I'm oh, already. Yeah. Once I'm they already start talking, once they start talking, you're out of luck. It's over. Yeah, gone. That, it's been yeah, yeah. it's been pretty much downhill since he was like <laughs> eleven months old and started verbalizing. Yeah his desires and concerns and when he realized it was all about him. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just wait, wait till you how... have that second one and with the bad they want, both of them wanted to be all about them. First of all, oh, I was never all about me. I was a very independent child all my life. 
All my life, I had yeah, to fight. Right. Oh, oh, you my sound God. like I had to fight all my life. Yeah, I want to hear that stuff. You sound like Courtney. That's Courtney telling everybody, I'm from the ghetto of Richmond. Yeah, right. You might have been lived in the ghetto of Richmond, but you know nothing about the ghetto life. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm, okay, mom, you've been talking too long. Where, where's grandmother? Huh? Where's grandmother? She's sitting here saying the same thing I'm saying. Okay, go ahead. And you want to talk to her? Yes. Okay, so bye, y'all. Talk to y'all next time. Bye. I just want to talk to you. Here comes grandmother. Oh lord, y'all just hey, why? Hi, hi grandmother. Y'all, this is my grand. Everybody to the world. This is our grandmother. She don't always like to talk because she says she gets mad. We always tell our grandmother stories about her, but we love our grandmother and everybody loves the grandmother. Hi, grandmother. How are you? Oh, I'm not doing so good, baby. How are you? I'm, well, what's wrong? They didn't tell you I wasn't feeling well. Oh, oh, they did. Oh, don't, don't go into everything. Not on the show, but I, we hope you feel better. I'm not going to do that, baby, but I'm, I'm fine for an 83 year older. This is true. Everybody should know grandmother is for, well, I'm sure not four days, but our grandmother is February 4th and I'm February 10th. So we are twin Aquariuses. Right. I, I'm her favorite grandchild because I was the uh -huh. most unexpected one. Kind of, right. sort of. And it's kind of, sort of. And people always request for me. That I remember a couple of Mother's Days ago, maybe four Mother's Days ago when I was writing for Auto Straddle. And it was they actually requested to do an interview with grandmother, and grandmother yes. was kind enough to sit down for a whole hour and a half. We're not gonna do that today, grandmother. Oh, I hope not, baby. I hope not. <laughs> and talk to and talk. <laughs> but, I, but I did enjoy the I did enjoy the, the the talk she and I had. And I would like to say, grandmother is really code switching right now. She is using her nice <laughs> grandmother. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. Well. Oh. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you, grandmother, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity to appreciate you on on the podcast. And then, there's Courtney, a limited time on that trial. On the okay. what? Your mama says a limited time on the trial. I've been nice all day. You was were you nice at church? I didn't go to church. Oh, you wasn't feeling good. No, I wasn't feeling well. And they, they we had lunch together. I'm very proud of my children and my my child and my grandchild. We had lunch together. Now we're going to have dinner. You, but you haven't kicked them out yet? They, they haven't drove you to drink and want to kill yourself yet? No, they haven't. Grown, uh, Carly, uh, Carly been very helpful. You know, your mama always got something to say. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. Yes, ma'am. Yes, so so ma who, 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 who uh, uh, how many people do you have on your, what is it called? Pa, a podcast. There is, there is B. Willis, who is in Baltimore. And okay, Hi. And there is Courtney, who is here in Oakland, but she's currently out getting drunk, grandmother. I, I'm, not, I'm not, grandmother. No, I'm not. Hi, Courtney. Why are you getting drunk at, Courtney? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I'm having some libations with my mother at brunch. Oh, well, well, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. She has so, not met the rest of the family, grandmother, but, you, but see, you see since she's over there drinking, that when she does meet them, she will fit right in. Oh, <laughs> who would fit right in? Courtney, you, the one guy. The Courtney, the one that be drinking. Well, all y'all be drinking. So but, but, like, but, but, but like, don't act, don't, don't act, don't act like that is like a characteristic 
that is it's like an ongoing issue. Well, you you miss something. what grandmother said. She said all all y'all be drinking. It ain't nothing different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what she talking about. You, you ask her, do she have a drink, Courtney? I oh, actually, she, I already know. She got she got some stored in her room, grandmother. Let me tell you. She I has, bet she have. She has storage. I bet she. Caroline did. was drinking the day that we was at her house recording. I, you can't, and she was drinking the day she was at my house. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. They all be drinking, all but mm-hmm. the grandmother and the grandfather. We don't drink, and that's and y'all. That's what y'all got to call her is the grandmother. You can't call her nothing else. Like don't the grandmother. Uh, gra- grandmother, don't. I'm not grandma. No. I'm grandmother. Yes. Well, grandmother, uh, we appreciate you, yes. and we are gonna go on and record the rest of the show. Until Courtney, thank you. Well, go ahead and put Courtney back okay. on so she can hang up properly. Okay. Thank you all for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> here's, here's Courtney. <laughs> I know I'm not a guest. I know I'm just saying, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all hey, hey, Courtney, thank you for bringing the, the, the mother and the grandmother by. You are so welcome. Y'all have a good show. Okay. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Uh, Courtney, please log out properly on your way out the door. (laughs) All right, y'all. That was actually a very... She's not going to stay on the line? No, Courtney is over there cooking tacos for Mother's Day. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) She's she's cooking tacos. So, all right. Well, let's get... We've gone through our, our Mother's Day... Courtney, there was there was a, a very important topic that we want to discuss. Can you lead us into that topic? Do you recall what it was? Can you talk about I it in front of your parents? Well, is the question? Not really. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so we're, gonna, we're gonna have to circle back. We, we on only, that one. We'll we'll go into the dear white people review. But that's not your. But that's not your daddy. <laughs> is that's true? It, the, I mean, but, but I there, guess. there's some, there, but there, there's some parts about that I need such one. So um, okay, okay, then we'll y'all. If we can't get back to it, if she's still out drinking Bellinis, then we'll have to table that. I'm, I'm not. You won't I'm be. I'm not. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead into the dear white people, black mama spoilerific review. So last week, last Friday, in fact. The second season of Dear White People, Netflix original series based on the 2014 film of the same name was released. Um, the majority of the characters did return. Um, it does pick up right where the ending of last season left off, which was after, if you recall, the season ended with a big revelation of the Hancock family um, who were major benefactors to the university, which was Winchester University, a predominantly white institution. And it came out that the benefactors were actually um, trying to have an infiltration of the all-black AP house. Um, and it picks up right where it left off after Troy, who is one of the main characters, um, breaks the window at the town hall discussion. So just a bit of a reminder, Dear White People is an American film from Netflix, like I said, based on the 2014 film of the same name. It follows a group of black students at a predominantly white school who face social injustice. Each episode focuses on a particular character except for the finale. So for the purposes of this spoilerific review, 
we will go chronologically through the episodes and touch on the major characters and also some of the new characters who have come into the narrative. Um, I know that both Courtney and B. Willis actually binge watched season one and two at the same time. So before we go into the spoiler review of season one, I'm um, season two. What did you think of season one, B. Willis? Um, season one. Uh, I thought it was good. Um, I don't think I would have kept watching had uh Joel not made that joke about. <laughs> Um, Macaless. I thought that was the funniest thing I've heard in my life <laughs> in the first in the first episode. So um, I think I think the writing is really well done. I actually I just think I think the writing is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the acting. I really I love the stories. Um, and um, yeah, I thought I thought season one. I thought it was good. I thought um, it had us like well-placed comedic moments and stuff like that so i thought it was a a a good overall story and the way they told it it wasn't particularly chronological but it was kind of spanning like one or two days and kind of showing each person's perspective i thought that was pretty good too all right and and courtney what were your overall thoughts of season one before you went into season two um i i thought it was pretty good um it definitely gave me it's weird because i was like this reminds me of school days very much but it i mean but obviously like at school days they were at a predominant or not predominantly they were at what was supposed to be hbc but um i liked how it kind of laid out basically like the different types of black people run into at college and that just really spoke to me (laughs) for some reason but um, I really enjoyed it. I like the characters. For some reason, I just feel Coco. I don't know why, because she's kind of generally awful. But I don't know. I feel like I connect with her for some. <laughs> Coco is Coco is a very complex character that I have complex feelings on. But that just speaks to again the writing. So. And I think that Coco, like you said, she is a very complex character. I think she is one of the better written characters. And I think that also, not just um, the young lady that plays Coco, but pretty much anybody who is in a Tyler Perry production, I have noticed the theme that they all act better in everything but what they do for Tyler Perry, which shows that his writing sucks. Cause I don't know. Ew, she was in something with Tyler Perry. She, she in? She's in the haves and the have nots. She plays the oh, girl. Oh, I don't that, watch. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she's terrible in it. <laughs> like, is she supposed to be the um, main wait, character? Is she in? She no. Is she, she in, in the haves and the have nots. She plays the young lady that's being blackmailed to be basically the gay son's beard. Is she Tika uh, Sumter? No, 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 no. That's not Tika Sumter. That's not Tika Sumter. Uh, uh-uh, no, no. That's why I'm like, wait, I didn't. No, not recognize her, did I? Yeah, you don't. You you see her. I mean, you see her more now than you did in previous seasons of Haves. And I haven't watched. Actually, I haven't watched this season of Haves, but she should still be there because at the end of last season, that story was still open, so it should still be going. But as has become, like I said, the norm with Tyler Perry. Like I've seen people from that show all the all over the place. Even in really people that I've seen, like legendary actors, you can tell they do their bad acting in Tyler Perry movies. Angela Bassett did her bad acting in Meet the Browns. 
Cicely Tyson, Felicia Fry. I mean, they do bad for them, which is better for everybody else. But she is, is amazing. Is bad acting or is it basic ass writing? It's bad Terrible writing. Stories. Terrible writing. And I feel like you can't. It's because cause we all know. Uh, well, you know, Angela Bassett has had her bad acting days, but I mean, what, out of the years that she's been acting, what is it, she had two, three bad acting days? Because the bitch can act. Because usually, okay. usually she brings, and bad, and really, that's why I say bad acting for them is relative, because they're amazing actors. Um, you know, she it, she do good for a Tyler Perry production, but it's not, like, none of her two or the four. She's done better in American Horror Story than she did in Meet the Browns. So, mm-hmm. but the young lady that plays Coco, she is amazing to me in this show, and and in that she is just like flat and like, why are you here? Um, and my my assessments of season one were kind of the same of you guys. It was very good. I mean, of course, being the first season post the TV, I'm sorry, the film, it spent a lot of its time trying to wrap up a lot of or tie loose ends from the film. Um, I did like how you said, B. Willis, that um, it didn't necessarily go chronologically. It went. It, it did kind of what um, Quentin Tarantino does in movies like um, Jackie Brown. It goes into everybody's point of view at the same time. It's basically the same story told from different points of view. Um, so I really like that. And it's funny, I was reading, when I was bringing up the information for season two, I was reading an article that was done be- at the beginning of season one. And it was talking about how white fans, or not fans, white um, fans of Netflix were actually boycotting Netflix when the original trailer for season one came out saying that it was promoting white genocide and that it was fanning racist flames and they really tried to get this no to Netflix um, campaign off the ground and really that whole white troll narrative becomes very very important as we will see going into season two so let's go right. into season two you, right? you said what Simeon, he used it. Oh, he totally right? used it. I think it. I remember. I remember reading it. He totally used it. I mean, it, it becomes the main plot point, pretty much. You know what I mean? But really, like white trolls are like such a part of black life these days. And I was just thinking about we were talking about the the white lady from that called the police on the the folks at Lake Merritt, <laughs> which turned out that that was my I, I found out that was my people from church. And then I found out that the lady, for those who are listening who didn't hear about the the 65-year-old Lyft driver who got drugged out of her car in, in Georgia, that's my other friend in, in Atlanta's, her friend's mama. I was like, this stuff is hitting close to home. But we were talking, I was thinking to myself about how this, none of this is new. It's just that with most things with social media, it's just so amplified. This is all same shit. We've been getting folk calling the police on us forever. Um, but let's go ahead into season two. And it's so funny, before season two came out, there were there was this whole thing that there was going to be a whole story arc about Grits. There's not a story arc, but there is this. This is how they start the season. Hold on one moment. Come on, Netflix. Come on, don't do me like this. I'm 100% done with you. You're done. This was the moment. If that's sugar, hundo pee. You don't sugar your grits? No, I have working taste buds. 
quick. Niggas is sugar and grits now. Refined cane, what else? Um, butter, salt, the occasional shrimp. Ooh, and a little gruyere. Heaven. Salty grits are trash. Oh, for once we agree. I think this is actually the third time that I co-signed the narrative. Look, y'all need to stop disrespecting grits if they're cream of wheat. Oh, okay, we... you must not let our breakfast choices divide us. Ah, Armstrong Parker. Now, it's worth noting that every episode of this season of Dear White People actually is given a historical context. It's fake history, but it does it is mixed in with a little bit of real history. So this is how they can, pick off. Can, Go ahead. Can I say something? But I was so offended <laughs> with that scene, and let me tell you why. why? I. <laughs> I sugar my grits. Dun, dun, I dun, do. Dun, dun. First of all, where is the line? Where's the line? Get out. First of <laughs> you all, fire, fire, okay? fire, and look out when I'm about to get your ass too. Um, <laughs> hold on. I sugar my grits. First of all, not nearly as much as Sam. And I hate when people uh, talk about people who sugar their grits act like we put pounds of sugar in our grits. <laughs> it ain't fucking Kool-Aid. It's grit. Okay? It's just like two, two spoonfuls of sugar. That's number one. Second of all, what I hate about that scene and Dear White People is that they made it seem like Sam got that from her white ass dad. Yeah, now that and part, like, yes. <laughs> and yes. like and like sugaring, sugaring your grits is a is some type of white evil. And it's not because you know who sugars their grits? Black Southern folks. Carolyn from Louisiana. I would like to, I sugar I my grits like because say, half of my family is from North Carolina, and I got it from my grandmama from North Carolina. I would Black like Southern to folks say, sugar their grits. Listen, <laughs> and this is why I only halfway sometimes take a stand on this very polarizing subject because <laughs> I either sugar or salt my grits depending on how I feel. Like if I got some shrimp in my grits, then I'm not gonna put no sugar in my shrimp grits. Okay, but it, sometimes I, I do feel like sugar in my grits because no, now I'm gonna tell you who they did no, disrespect, not, and I was not I was not happy. They disrespected cream of wheat. You don't come for cream of wheat. I don't know why people keep fucking with cream oh, of wheat. Cream of wheat ain't got nothing to do so, with it. So, so, so that's also okay. Like, listen, way. like don't disrespect cream of wheat. Yeah, don't get into the because for me it's like it's two. It's two separate things. Don't. You don't have to drag cream of wheat into this nonsense because <laughs> also salt goes in grits and also pepper and cheese. Yeah. So I don't know. Now I'm confused. You can sugar. Like listen, you can sugar your shrimp and grits as long as the. All you gotta do is put the sugar in the grits part, not the shrimp part, so you can still get that shrimp salty flavor. Now the thing that does confuse me, and I don't remember which episode it was, so I can't bring it up. And it was visual. You, it wasn't red, so it's not a point anyway. There's a point in the season where they're reading. Sam is going through um some tweets, and they talk about grits versus oatmeal and they actually get give the give the grits to the white people it's something about uh white breakfast matters and it says like oh they're bringing oatmeal into into armstrong parker why um white breakfast matters saying that grits was white breakfast and and that goes back to what you were saying willis because what's going to happen after this they're going to show that scene with the daddy and they're going to say that grits right. were just brought into the dorm when the white people came. And I'm like, wait, what are y'all talking about? Yeah, like, that's so fucking ridiculous. Because <laughs> I always said that oatmeal was white people and grits was black people. But, well, grits is southern, really. I mean, because white people in the south, yeah. 
And I, I you know what, what? I'm going to go through it. I'm going to actually, events. I'm going to play the historical part. I don't remember if it goes into the, the, the daddy part, but I'm going to play that just real quick. So like I said, folks, they start every scene, every episode with a historical context. So hold on. Here we go. You may have noticed there's something different about Winchester's historically black residence hall. Watch closely. 1837, former slave quarters Armstrong Hall and Parker House combined to accommodate Winchester's influx of ethnic students, which at the time meant Irish and Italian. They lived there until sometime after the 1920s when they graduated to whiteness. 1965, Armstrong Parker House becomes the residence of choice for a burgeoning community of black students, but not everyone approves, especially one Donald Hancock a student who would become a wealthy benefactor of right-wing politicians and Winchester herself. Two weeks ago, a protest led by firebrand Samantha White ends when Troy Fairbanks vandalizes Hancock Hall. News of Troy's outburst spreads like wildfire, as did an actual fire which coincidentally started at Davis House around the same time. These events were assumed to be the result of rioting after the protest because, you know, black people were involved. February 1968, with violence in the South and Vietnam, Martin Luther King recants his I Have a Dream speech, calling it naive. As Jimmy Baldwin said on one occasion, what advantage is there in being integrated into a burning house? Two weeks later, he's assassinated. A week ago, as displaced residents of Davis House relocate to Armstrong Parker, Dr. King's words scrape at Sam's subconscious. Mm. All right, so that's a good segue into the very beginning of the season. I would like to first ask both of you, because you guys are huge historians yourself, what did you think of them adding that historical context? Of course, at towards the end, we know why they used it. But what did you think of them adding the historical context in front of each episode? Did I lose it? Mm. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I mean, at the time it was happening, I really didn't think anything of it, honestly. Uh, I thought it was just like to set up the episode, so which I mean it was. So, and most of it, most of it, like had real history mixed in with you know the show's history, mm-hmm. made up history. So, but like when it was happening, I wasn't really invested in it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, but I saw, I, I saw. I saw what they were doing, though, with it and, like, how they were trying to show how things were connected and stuff like that. What about you, Courtney? Did you, were you at all invested in the fake history? Um, well, I mean, it's real history on the show and also the fact that Italians and Irish people graduate to whiteness in the 1920s is a real thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that. Well, alrighty then. So, first episode, we as we saw, we have the students being integrated into AP, um let's see the rest of my notes here and you also have samantha who has been in a funk ever since the incident at hancock hall because she's basically been blamed for everything that happened um and so she's trying to figure out where where next to go with your white people um and it does start like Brittany said with the story of her father um which becomes a running narrative and i'll be honest we before we even get through the whole season when we got towards the end that when they spent all of episode nine exploring her relationship with Gabe and then all of episode no they spent seven on Gabe eight on her daddy and every time because I've watched this whole season like five times now and I always skip them two episodes 
because they bore me. Was I the only one that was that was bored with the exploration of her complicated relationship with her white boyfriend and her white father? I wasn't so much bored as I was annoyed and felt salty. And I was talking about this with another person. There's a, there's there's a lot that I love about their white people, and there's things that I hate about their white people, and the things that I hate about their white people is every single storyline that involves a white person. Yes. So, and <laughs> and honestly, um, I yesterday I was thinking about it and kind of worked it out because I was like, is it that I don't really like these aspects of the show? And really, it has it really doesn't have anything to do with the show because if you think about it, they did it perfectly because. They go to a PWI, and in every sense, a PWI is a microcosm of this country. And so every negative feeling that I have about the show reflects every negative feeling that I have about race relations and this country. And so I was like, oh, that's pretty, that's that's pretty perfect. Point, huh? Because yeah. I, don't, I don't like Gabe. I don't like he, that he has featured plot lines. I don't like his relationship with Sam. I don't like her father. I don't like I just I just I don't I don't like that the black people in there have neutral or positive relationships with some racist and problematic white folks. Yeah. And I just I just don't like that at certain points white people have a voice in the show. But then that just reflects my feelings about white people in America. <laughs> I don't like I don't like most of them. And I think so. that's what makes it so complicated. Because I remember season one when Gabe had his episode. And I was like, why do we need a Gabe episode? But his whole episode was basically echoing um, not white fragility. When it was white, it was, no, it did echo white fragility. But it was all about white guilt. So everything that came out of his mouth was all standard stuff that you held that you would hear in the context of white guilt right and even the episode that i hated i think the one that i hated the most was that whole they spent that whole episode with the relationship between her and gabe um that i wouldn't say broke my heart but it was just like i think they kind of started veering towards the the tragic mulatto trope which i'm it's i'm totally and utterly confused by i, I agree with that and I don't know why they're going down that road what why do you think so because I think the whole that whole arc between the episode where she spends with Gabe kind of decompressing their relationship and why it didn't didn't work and him not understanding her life as a black woman and it transitions right into the episode about her father and about how he was so loving and giving and liberal and he married this black woman and the black woman lost her whole family and it was all really about her basically spending her pain on this relationship with her dad that she was not able to reconcile. She wasn't able to reconcile her blackness with her dad. And she spent a lot of the episode, a lot of the season crying about it. And I didn't understand why that had to be. I could be wrong, um, but it just seemed like they were, they were, they were going down that road. But you know, what's funny is that those episodes, like the episode with Gabe, her whole thing, her whole conversation with him, I hated that episode too. God, I just, I just don't like Gabe. I don't but, like Gabe. Um, he represents everything um, that is just like bad about someone just trying to so be an annoying, ally. Yeah. But, um, that whole, the whole time watching the his episode in season one, and then watching those two episodes, the whole time I was kind, of, well, not not the one with the daddy because. There are scenes with her friends and her mother that I respect, yes, that I, yes. you know, You're like, right. And I think that's what's um, for me. Yeah, but like those those aspects where it's focusing on 
them the whole time I was sitting there watching I was thinking wow this is not for me and there's a part of me that was like why the hell am I watching a show written by black folks with an episode that's not for me but then I realized again like this is a show that is about an institution that is a microcosm of America so the show itself is a microcosm of America so there has to be moments where they do give voices to people who always have a voice in everything else and here they are popping up in a space where you think that they shouldn't be and yes i'm going to feel uncomfortable and angry about it because they shouldn't be here but then i thought like that's probably very much intentional on simian's part yeah and so that's why i said that the writing is perfect because the way that i felt about them again it's just like how i feel about every other thing that's like if we were having our own thing you know, at some black coffee house and then some white person came up and wanted to, I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? So yeah. like when Gabe, you know, came up, I'm like, why are you here? Why do I have to watch this? Why did they write this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know why they did this. Like this is they're, they're They are focusing and centering the black experience, but they're centering the black experience in a white world. And as much as we would love it to be only black in this world, in this real world, Whiteness just permeates every single fucking thing. And so, like, it just comes up when you don't want it to come up. So, I got that part. I mean, yeah, I still don't like it, but I got it. <laughs> what did you think, Courtney, about... I know that you echoed the sentiment about the tragic mulatto. What, what did you think in that regards to the way Sam's story arc went? Well, I just feel like I kind of have issues with the focus being kind of mainly on her and my biracial and it's like her experience looking the way she does it. so I kind of have like feelings about that mm-hmm. but then it's kind of like oh wait you're cutting out where are you it looks like we lost her okay okay <laughs> finish saying what you were saying so, yeah, I just feel like it, because it's like, dear, I mean, we, like, granted, she obviously presents as a Black woman mainly, but I feel like her experience is different. Like, her growing up with a white father and dating a white man and being traditionally attractive and light, like, her experiences are going to be a little bit more softer than mm-hmm. Other black women, like, for example, like Coco, or what's her friend's name with the braids? I feel like I don't know her name. Joelle. Joelle, yeah. Like, Joelle and Coco are going to have far different experiences, as we've seen. So, it's already like, I'm fighting this fight for black people. It just kind of seems like she's overcompensating for her biracialness. She kind of gets into that, doesn't she, though? She d- she dips into it some, especially in the, the episodes where um where they finally give Joelle an episode, which I thought was another brilliant episode. Um, they do talk about it some. So it's it's but yeah, it's like oh you know she's this poor. I mean, because that's kind of the trope of like the tragic mulatto is like they don't fit in anywhere, and how can they really belong when they are too white for the black people and too black for the white people. And there's no one, nowhere for them to truly belong. You know, her 
choosing, because I mean, at this point, it's a choice. She's an adult to date a white man versus like fine ass Reggie who's like pawning over her. It's kind of, it just, it's like, well, you know, I'm, that's what I'm attracted to because that's what I'm used to. And it, parts of Sam's story just kind of over, like, they kind of just roll my eyes a little bit. But yeah. I'm still trying to figure out my thoughts about that and her. Some, something just seems off. And maybe I just have residual issues about Logan hit the floor. So I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I've never seen hit the floor, but okay. She was very awful in that show as a person. Hit but, the floor. Um, oh. She was in that for a long time. I never saw that. Y'all are terrible. Used to watch them. Well, in well, in the first episode, she does get pulled into a heated debate, which becomes another major story arc with a white troll named Alt IVW, and she gets pulled into what Joelle calls a clapback coma, where she claps back with this person for two days. Um, which also results in her basically hanging up on her her dad who tries to call in and be in the common spirit, but then he calls her, what do you call her, angry or difficult, which puts, sends her back in a clapback mode. Um, and throughout the, the duration of the series, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out who Alt-IVW is. Alt-IVW starts to grow a cult following as he trolls all the black students at Winchester. Um, And as we go through the story arcs, when we find out who Alt-IVW is, kind of as B. Willis said, they revealed it like it was in a horror. No, that wasn't. No, that was a whole tip that they revealed like a horror movie. Wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of things got revealed by like a horror movie. There were some very interesting, as we get into the rest of the characters, there were some very interesting um, cameos. The first cameo, which was by Lena Waithe, who I did not know was actually an executive producer of the original movie. Um, but Pete, girl, like, come on! I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, you know what? I also didn't know. I also didn't know that the show itself is executive produced by Yvette Lee Bowser, who produced Living Single. So, mm-hmm. girl, at the end of each thing is the woohoo! Oh, you know what? On the windmill. I'm that person on Netflix <laughs> that when it says continue watching the next episode, I just click it. I don't let it go to the end. Oh, uh, see, I'm the person who <laughs> I need to see the I need to see the red bar all the way at the end, so I watch the credits. <laughs> I didn't. I'm, even, I'm that person. I didn't even know. But you know, yeah, I love the the windmill lady. But I'm sorry, y'all. I got a little bit of a cold. <sighs> oh Lord. Lena Wave plays P Ninny, who is the star of the show Principalities. Which is basically uh, <laughs> love and hip hop meets empire, and just to give you an idea of what the show is like, <laughs> here is a clip. I think it's so lit. I might need to have that nigga's baby tonight. As I've said many times before, I am not no lesbian. No, I'm that still gonna beat your ass. Gonna beat my I'm ass. gonna beat your ass. Don't make me grease your <laughs> And now that is all the white people who moved into Armstrong Parker watching this principalities and cracking up and all the black people being like, what the hell? So, mm-hmm. 
I love so so you know how um Issa Rae has that uh that scandal type show. Is it yeah. scandal? No, that was your white no, people no, that no, had no. scandal. It's, it's something about slave times, but it's kind of sort of based on scandal. But like I love how their white people has that scandal type show. What is it called though? It's called something. It's called uh, some with an R. Shit, because they don't watch it this season. But they do bring Dor- uh the fake Ayana back, who is funny as shit. Yes, Dorita, <laughs> I love that. No, okay, so the fake scandal the fake scandal is called deception. Yeah, no, it's called deception. Desecra- de- desecration or demarcation or something like that. No, desecration. Something with it. No, defamation. It's called defamation. Yeah. But 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 then there's a small mention in Joel's episode, and it's mentioned by a white person, so maybe you don't remember it, but it had me cracking up because I watched This Is Us and the white yes. boy that said, Oh, this comes right on after that is that them. is them. And, and then the hotel said like, that was like it was real small, but I was like, that's genius because I was cracking up. And then the hotel was like, Oh, you mean the show about the magical Negro that gets adopted as a oh, white right, lady? Right. I'm like, oh shit. And did y'all notice that uh Sam has a bed um bed frame just like um what's her face in what's She Gotta Have It? From- Yes. Yeah. And there was so many I did not know references. That. There was like a she has like the spaces and like it has candles. And the candles, yes. Yeah. There was a lot of spikely references. I was watching it with one of my friends who's a film major and he was just remarking that a lot of the camera angles and a lot of the shots were like spikely shots. Um, they already do the jazz a lot for Reggie, but they did it a lot more, which is what gave it that more of a school days feeling. Which we, we're not going to get too much into it, but it does go into the big reveal at the end of the season. I, I feel like there's going to be a reason why we have all this Spike Lee-esque shit when we get into season three. Um, so let's go on into episode two. So this, that's what basically episode one is Sam and all the other black students getting acclimated to the newly integrated Armstrong Parker. Um, her complicated relationship with her father and her initial interactions with IBW. We do get our first glimpse at the new game. Now, I want to ask y'all this, and this might be me being black sensitive. Did it feel like to y'all in season one, Gabe was very grassrootsy looking, kind of scruffy, and now he was like a cleaned up white liberal? Was that mm-hmm. the yeah, But, I- you know, to me, they all look the same. But yeah, something like that. It, it feel like last season he was wearing like like scruffy jackets and and dirty shoes and now he Wet wears pants with sandals and shit and and a and a scully and now he wears real sweaters, dirty and white sweaters and button downs and he got his hair all gel back and his beard all you know tapered and shit and I'm like I don't but it's like you said B. Willis it's all a microcosm of the u.s so all right let's go on into episode two so episode two um is reggie's episode and i might need y'all help really trying to deconstruct episode two because reggie's episode is interesting we don't really we're not we don't get into troy yet but reggie's episode centers a lot on his relationship with dean fairbanks dean fairbanks who is played by obobabatunde who a lot of folks know is I don't know. He just did everything. He was in half and half, so that's probably where Yvette Bowser got him from. Um, but Dean hmm. Fairbanks is de- is Troy's dad, who was very much the person who raised him to be the conservative black man that he is. You know, the black overachiever. But when it comes to Reggie, who is of course more radical, it seems like he has a lot more compassion for Reggie. 
Um, and he's supposed to be the one that's fighting for justice for Reggie, but he can't, he himself can't even get it as the Dean. But what was your take on his relationship with Reggie as encouraging his radicalism as opposed to his relationship with Choi, um, encouraging his conservatism and encouraged him to be like talented tip type of thing? What was your take on that? I, well, let, I, I want to dip into that real quick because I found that interesting. The more I thought about it, it's, I think, as a parent, like, okay, taking it back to, to the first season, the end of first season, Troy broke the wind and caught her house, whatever. Um, he ran outside and was telling, he's like, don't shoot my son, don't shoot my son, and was crying. Like, he was legitimately scared. His son, and I, sometimes, especially the older crowd, they see that the work, like the Reggie's necessary. But I think he's scared of what might happen if, like, boy would uh, participate in that type of radical. Mm. And it's like, I think sometimes you just want, it's it's a little, um, I'll never forget, I have to take it back to, I never, I was doing, I went to Irish school, I was saying, it's a lot easier for if they can or someone else to teach their kids how to drive because kids just freak out when they're trying to teach kids to drive because it's a very emotional thing. You're letting your kid drive a car, your baby, gave birth to days, and it's very, it's, it gives us a lot of anxiety. It's, it's like driving dang, you don't want And it's also, it's kind of the extent and it's just a lot. So I think that he really does want to see. Wait, Cor- Courtney, we are losing every other word you say. Where are you? Oh, I'm standing still in the hallway. Okay. Um, I think it's like he recognizes like the need for radical work to be done, especially on the campus, because he's a black man. He recognizes like the bullshit that white people be on. Like the rest of us black people, no matter how well we try to assimilate into black or our black selves into white American culture, we all know deep down that white people be on some bullshit. So I think he wants Reggie to do the work, but he's scared for Troy to get involved with that type of work because he really feels like that can endanger his son's life. Mm-hmm. And he's wants to protect his baby no matter what. So I think that's kind of what comes down to it. And it comes off like a, a, uh, it comes off a little like, um, like a, some, for me, it's like a, f- a field slave, house slave. Like I'm gonna let you do the heavy lifting and I'm going to keep my beige son protected over here. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little bit bigger than that. I think it's just like a fear. Like I was really surprised that he had that reaction when he ran out. I thought he was going to be like, Troy, what are you doing out here? You <laughs> destroy your property. I really thought he was going to just start with like the high bougie shit. And he came out yelling about, please don't shoot my son. That's my son. Like he was really scared. So I think there's like a fear based type of guidance that he's doing where he wants Troy to be more conservative because he thinks that's the safer route for him, not just in career and socially, but like physically. Mm-hmm. So 
that's kind of, I think it's a little bit easier for him to guide Reggie so when he doesn't have that deep emotional connection to. What did you think about it, B. Willis? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't. you know, I, he, he Troy will figure out in, in later in his episode, he's really taking on the Don Lemon just waking up type of role. And it's like Reggie has always been woke. And I, I do definitely agree with Courtney as far as it feels like Dean Fairbanks feels that, you know, taking the more conservative role will save Troy. But he finds out time and time again, it's actually destroying him. But it was just the scenes between, especially this, when they take the walk around campus, This the, the way that he shows such compassion for Reggie. It's like he's a completely different person. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't uh, I don't know. I I guess yes, he did show compassion. I I was kind of like watching that like very uh indifferent about that episode to be honest. I don't know. It it was I do agree with you guys. I do agree with what Courtney said. Um but there was something about it that really didn't seem all that different than how he treats Troy. Mm. on the surface it looked different but it wasn't I don't think he was saying anything that was um very radical or at least radical compared to how he was in season one mm-hmm. I mean he was basically telling him you know do what you need to do but also try not to die in these streets like I don't know I guess that is, true. and that's kind of something that he tells Troy anyway so I really don't. I didn't feel any way about that. Like when they saw, when they were taking the walk, and then Troy kind of has the trigger reaction to the cops, and he like stops him from I don't know what Troy was trying to act what he was gonna do, and he was like, "You can't give him that reaction or something like that." So I can see that he he's still giving him yeah, this, this, he, the he how just, to survive white people speech. Yeah, he just he just he has no problem with playing in and with the system, and it's, that's really what he was telling Reggie, and it's the same thing he tells Troy. I didn't really feel any way about that episode. Well, this is also the same episode where we start to see. Now, last episode, they spent the whole time being against Kirk Pastiche and the Pastiche magazine. They were the ones at, that actually put on the blackface party that ends the season. Um, but in this season and episode Kirk Pastiche actually comes off as more of an ally which is and and this is not me giving him the ally role this no. is the way that they're treating him they're treating him like they're like like their friends we, this is the episode where we see Kirk and Reggie and Troy actually drinking and shit together and I became mm-hmm. really confused by the whole Kirk character and narrative where how did you mm-hmm. I know you talk be willis about the problematic the relationship with problematic white people what was your take on the relationship with kirk from pastiche oh i hated it i'm like this i don't know i i hate i don't like any of the white people on the show <laughs> i don't <laughs> so and and that that whole scene got on my nerves that whole scene about them being drinking and being high and it be being okay or was that with troy i don't know whatever and then being all buddy buddy with kirk and aligning with him on anything it's just like why i just don't i didn't like it and then at the end you have kirk actually kirk is fucking um um coco and actually ends up being her help 
and and the clue Ugh. that comes at the end. And I was just like, why Kirk though? Like, come on. I just Yeah. I didn't get with the whole point of making them all I mean, I went to a PWI. Um, and I mean, just like with any other institution that you go where you have, you know, different people, you're gonna have people who you're cool with and all that kind of stuff. But I don't recall ever being that buddy buddy with somebody who just three weeks ago basically put on party the party where the gun was put in your face. Like I didn't. That was a bit much for my life. Um, and that was really the extent of. Oh no, that wasn't the extent of Reggie's episode. This is when we finally get what I've been seeking since the since season one, which was for Reggie and Joel to start exploring a relationship between them. The only thing I didn't like is that. So they start exploring it here in this episode where he's basically Kurt and Troy has told him to start getting as much ass from white girls as he can um, to get p- pissy, uh, pissy, yeah, pissy, pity sex from white girls. But he goes out on a date with Joelle. Joelle is up there singing Tyrone, which that girl can sing. I don't know if you guys have heard the actual Dear White People soundtrack, but she actually has a recorded version of Tyrone on there and it's really pretty good. Um, and she's singing Tyrone, and the white girls are coming up, basically throwing their panties at Reggie. And for the for the moment, that ends that tryst between the two of them. So, yeah, that's episode two. There wasn't really much in Reggie's episode. Episode three, which is with my people, is the pride episode between Silvio and Lionel. Lionel is our our newspaper guy who actually set off the situation with the Hancocks by revealing their how invested they were in the institution. Um, he has this conflicting or confusing relationship with Silvio, who was the head writer at the school newspaper until the school newspaper got all his funding pulled because of what Lionel pulled at the end of of season one. So. Silvio is just kind of a bitter, white-passing, Latino gay man for the moment. <laughs> um, should we go already into the big reveal on Silvio, or should we hold on to that until we get through the whole season? What do y'all think? Do the big reveal! Silvio <laughs> is the troll! Silvio is all IVW, the fucking supposedly white troll. Oh my God. I watched this, that last episode where they revealed Silvio to be the troll the day after my racist incident at the burrito shop and it almost killed me. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, no one is as excited as the big reveal as me. Maybe we should just go through. <laughs> so... Lionel and okay. Lionel and Silvio are actually going through trying to figure out what to do post the the um, school paper being shut down. It's Pride Night, so they decide to go party hopping. Lionel thinks it's a date. Silvio is an asshole in in pretty gay fashion, and he's just out partying. <laughs> pretty gay fashion, you know. <laughs> pretty gay fashion. One thinks that it's a date. The other one is like, "This isn't a date. We're just party hopping. What the hell is wrong with you?" But Silvio has been an asshole, and Lionel has been falling for his shit, which is a whole another thing, which is why I was glad on Pride Night where they finally got to... they. So they hop different parties with different segments of the campus. They go to the traditional Pride Night, which is where they see the, the quote-unquote supposedly straight girls 
at the Pride, at the gay club. They go to Pride Night with the theater geeks and the musical geeks. Um, they go to, finally they go to Black Pride Night, which is at the radio station, which I live for that scene with the, with the black dudes. Let me see if I can find it and play with it. But what did you guys think of the relationship between Silvio and Lionel? I always thought he seemed to be grooming Lionel for some reason. Well, that could be taken a number of ways. Because <laughs> it was like, oh, I mean, I'm a straight person. So it's weird to me that he just assumed Lionel was gay in the first season. Just kind of like, kind of came at him like that. I just feel like there's a more respectful way to go about that to someone, especially like you might be dealing with somebody who's like still trying to figure out their sexuality. Uh-huh. And so he just always kind of seemed to be flirting with him and grooming him and trying to like ease him into like being attracted to him. It just always seemed kind of, I don't know to me. I think that Silvio is problematic for a couple of reasons. I think that this episode was a very good, it did a good job of breaking down why the gay community is problematic and then of why Silvio himself is problematic. Um, Every time that they went to a particular house, Lionel had particular interactions with the guests there at those houses, Um, particularly when he went to the more affluent house. I want to show play that particular scene. I think I have it here. I think I have it here. If I have it queued up right. Here Here we go. <laughs> Only squirting for the whites. In Zach's defense, though, he did change it to All-American after Freddie from Comparative Lit called him out in his editorial on problematic gaze. Mm, can we retire that word? Gaze? Immediately. Problematic. Who doesn't have a type? George has an affinity for chocolate. Guilty. Yates is a chubby chaser. Dexter is a total rice queen. And I, of course, will fuck whatever has legs. Look at you, having standards. Mm. I like emotionally unavailable guys with an acumen for mixed signals. Wait, are we still allowed to say rice queen? We're fags. We're not allowed to exist in half the world, so why do we have to play by its rules? These white guys who just want to reduce Asians to a complex carb. Sorry. Don't take it. So yeah, that, that that's one of the most important things that comes out of this episode is that every house that he goes to, everybody is basically saying their different issues that they have within the gay community. Of course, no one really talks about women because you know whatever women. <laughs> They're really no <laughs> No one, no one talks about that. Um, and what's funny is I didn't, I that. didn't like that um, house hopping until he got to the black to the black party, right. the black gay party, right. When he got to the black part, I didn't even really pay attention. It, it took me to go through a, a couple of times before I even paid attention to the conversation at the White Houses. But it was they were important to me because that last line that the guy said when he said, we're fags, we're not allowed to exist in half of the world, you know, which is how a lot of gay men feel. Like they steer, they do seriously still feel like they are like the most oppressed people, even if they're white gay men. Um, but when he goes to that black house. I need I needed a whole episode at the Black House, really, because I love them. Um, this is when Lionel actually walks into yeah. 
the black house. Wait, before we um wait, what were you gonna say? Nah, nah. Uh, no, I was just gonna say well, the thing I loved about that is that it had uh, what's that boy name? I don't like him. I don't but, either, uh, but I know who you're talking about. And I can't think of his name. Uh, uh shit. Uh, Todrick had- Hall. Yes. And but also, Ty- with Todrick Hall was the boy I do like. What's on from um the Reed, the Reed podcast? Oh, what's that? On, um, yeah. What what's his face? Uh, King Purcell, right? No, no, no. Crystal is the, is the woman, but uh, what's oh. what's the boy name? Damn it. Oh no! I will. Shout out to the yes. Reed. Shout out to the shout out yes. to the Reed. Shout out to the Reed. <laughs> okay, hold on one moment. Meet Lionel, your newest obsession. Breaker up of blackface parties, destroyer of papers. Told you this one was family. See, now the clothes threw me off, but... See you now. And T-Way. I don't give a fuck if people got a problem with me calling things problematic. I mean, look around this school. Things are problematic as fuck. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna wear that word out. Okay, but maybe if you didn't think peace everything, these white people wouldn't feel like they have to get on the radio and embarrass themselves. Don't lie about things. So you don't remember the time you petitioned to have the Webster House chef fired over sushi night? It was cultural appropriation. It was California rolls, and you loved them. Appropriation is their raison d'etre, though. Parlez-vous français, bitch. I mean, they appropriated a land from the Native Americans. Uh-huh. Appropriated a whole people from Africa to work the new land they stole. So, of course, white people are appropriated oppression. That's the new Katy Perry single, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oppression featuring Migos. I'm not about to play with you. On the lowest of Alicia Keys, I'm about to appropriate this entire conversation in my next Dear White People. Shout me out, baby. Yes, girl, Queens. Slay. Oh, uh, Lionel. <laughs> Lionel, your shoes suggest that you enjoy Caucasian music. What do you think of the current <laughs> pop landscape? I mean, I enjoy a little Taylor Swift every now and again. Oh, don't do it, Leo. We agreed. You speak ill of Tay-Tay, and I'm dragging Miss Germanata. You leave Gaga B. Well, cease fire, bitch. Okay, can we go to at least one function where we do not discuss white people? Oh, but it relaxes me. Rihanna, all day and all So, so that was when he finally. You would have thought that Lionel found his people, but he felt he felt like he wasn't in the right place. But I felt like I was in the right place. I wanted to stay there. What yeah, about you? I love that scene. That was great. <laughs> I was like, this is so black and so gay, right? <laughs> Oh, I, I just heard his <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but no, I felt like I was like at the catch in LA or somewhere. I don't know. I feel like I was like, it was totally appropriate. Like they really did that. I was, I was happy to have, to actually have seen it represented. I, I would hope that in season three, we can get more. I mean, hopefully Lionel is finding himself a little bit more where we can see more of the black gays. Um, I don't know. Um, yes. Wants to say hi. Say hi. Hi, Caleb. Okay. Hi. 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 That's not him. You didn't hear him? No. Hear him? No, Caleb, say hi again. They didn't hear you. Hi. 
Hi, Caleb. Okay. All right, so that is the the Lionel, the first Lionel episode, the Pride episode, where he finally breaks it, kind of breaks it off with Silvio. He realizes for the first time that Silvio ain't shit, but he does meet a little boyfriend who um, will become very important towards the end of the season. Um, so let's go on to episode four. Episode four is. No, yeah, episode four. All right, so now we're on the Coco episode. This, to me, this was actually one of the best episodes. And I'm trying to see if this is the one that was actually directed by Sally Richardson. Um, but I can't bring up the directors right now. I know she did direct one episode of this season, though. Um, this is Coco's episode. And in the episode, where is it? Where is it? All right, so in this episode, now that Troy ha- is basically having a nervous breakdown, which he is, he's in the middle of a nervous breakdown, Coco sets her sights on getting control of the group core. And they give a little bit of the history of why there is a BSU and why there is a core. If you recall, in Armstrong Parker, there's the Black Caucus, which is everyone in the hall, well, when it was all black. And then they have three different black groups. You have the BSU, which is which is headed up by Sam, and kind of lightweight Reggie. You have Core, which was headed up by Troy and Coco. And you have a third, you have a third group. I know the church group, but there was another group too that I don't remember. Throughout the season, there's a whole another faction of crazy black people headed off by what's the name of the light skinned dude? Al? No, it's it's the AASU, the African American Student Unit, and then B- the Black as Fuck crew. Is that what it? Well, no, they're not not they're not black as fuck. It's the Black American, uh, the Black. It's the something that has to do with art, or something like that. It's just, just there. It's like we. It's like having a segment in school days headed by Mars Blackman, who is not even in school days, but he is totally giving me Mars from the news. She's got to have it. I don't. I hope I'm not just saying it because they both light skin. But <laughs> no, he gave me that too. I thought that was him. Oh no, that ain't him. That's a different dude. Oh, well, you know, all light skin. Like, you know what? We not even go. We 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 said we wasn't having that conversation because then I'm gonna have to ask questions about uh what's his face from from Pack and Save. You know what I was about to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're actually we're on our way. So either so he was like, "Do you want to do something for Mother's Day?" I was like, "Yeah." So I'm supposed to be meeting him for drinks, or I might be. I don't know. Or you might be what? Wait, what? No, I'm. We're on our way to have like. Early dinner and is that? Uh, yeah, but you said you either gonna have a drink or what? Or get murdered. Not sure. Oh, I would just like to say, listeners, I'm sorry. I'm getting ready for you know. Shout out to Girl Pile. I'm getting ready for Girl Pile, so my mind is just all the way in the gutter. So I thought you said something else, child. That's why I was like, wait, what? Okay. Wait, what is your? <laughs> I hey. All I heard was I might be getting a drink or and I was like, wait, you might be getting a what? Okay, so they go into the history of core and basically what the history of core is, is that there was once the BSU at Armstrong Parker until the BSU, his the 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 leader of the BSU's girlfriend found out that he was sleeping with the secretary or something like that. So she went off and started another group and she actually was able to create the only 
recognized black group on campus. So they are also the only group on campus that gets university funds. Um, and it's so funny. I was watching this episode with my friend who graduated from the Howard University. And he said, you know, the thing that is problematic to me is that the black woman was able to go to the white man and say how the black man was treating her wrong and was able to get money to start another organization. I said, well, damn. That's, oh, is that what he That's pretty much what happened. Because also, see, that's funny. He must be getting part of what she was saying that it was headed by men and they did not let any of the black women participate in the what the um, what the group accomplished. So, and then on top of that, he was sleeping the, with the girl. The, the the nail in the coffin was her boyfriend who had. We're gonna go. Uh, the the boyfriend was fucking the secretary. Right. So that is like the nail in the coffin, and then she was just able to see. That's the thing. That's why to listen to black women they would have allowed her strategic thing of the they would have been getting but they shut the women but so they shut the women like, out oh, okay you want to play game then i'm gonna take my ideas start my own group and then it wasn't about oh the my black man be bad let to a white and then go and get more money like, that's not even what it is. That's why you need to listen to black women. Help go further, sir. Tell your friend I said. You know what? I feel like this is all shade because he went to Howard and you go to Hampton. But I'm not yeah, quite certain. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Howard nigga would think that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I went to Cal State that's Long Beach. I got enough hotel problems. That's the only part he caught on to was that she went and did it out of spite. No, she was already feeling some type of because it's like how you just gonna like if we're supposed to be all a collective cohesive black group trying to move forward together, but you're doing things that white men do to y'all to us, and then now and I can move, but you're shutting me out. So yeah, you don't get so uh yeah i feel that and i probably would have been so yeah based off of that his i need you to keep the 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 device close to your mouth so we can catch all your points but yeah so this is so so troy (laughs) so so coco is able to wrestle control of core from troy who's in his nervous breakdown and from james who is you know not a worse shit some other dude whatever so she is now in control of, of Core. Meanwhile, there is a new um a new character who was actually introduced. Um, a character by the name of Carson Rhodes. Carson Rhodes is a political pundit, a quote unquote liberal political pundit, who was played by Tyler Williams, who was the original Lionel in the film, who we also know from Everybody Hates Chris. Everybody loves Tyler. Is it Tyler James Williams? I forgot his name. Anyway. So we're introduced to Carson Rhodes, and he will actually become important as we get down the road in the story arc as well. Um, But Coco has another issue. Coco has recently figured out that she is pregnant with Choi's child, 
and the only person who, <laughs> and the only person there to comfort her is Kelsey. Now Kelsey had a very small role last season as the very quote unquote valley girl type black girl but we learn a lot about kelsey um number one that we she wasn't just at the gay club she is actually a a trinidad born lesbian woman she talks very much about being a trini girl who loves other girls and how dangerous that is um and when we see kelsey we we're starting to see her more because when the the folks moved into armstrong parker they all had to bunk up so she became coco's roommate and it also became become the recurring theme of sisterhood through this whole season, which I loved. Um, I love seeing Kelsey's role blossom more as a support for Coco. And towards the end, we also see Coco and um, Sam and Joelle build more of a sisterhood bond. I think Willis left us. She had to go work on some stuff. Did she leave us? Let me see. Yes, got to work on that lesson plan. She had to go work on her lesson plan. So cool, 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 cool. So, what did you think about the the relay? First, the relationship between Kelsey and Coco. I don't know if if you ever went through any type of pregnancy scares or if you had any friends you had to support. But I think we all at least once had one friend or were the friend who had a pregnancy scare in college. So, what did you think of Girl, the relationship? I have, I have gone. See, you know, when I got pregnant with Caleb, I was twenty seven, so I was older, and so. Um, I was living with my roommate who I, um, promptly threw my pregnancy test at screaming that I was pregnant and she just, she started laughing nervously because it's like, what are we going to do with you having a baby? And then, you know, here we are today and Caleb's in the back yelling at me. So things work out, but, um, I think, um, you know, Kelsey always came off of people who kind of speak in that type of way as far as like oh my gosh like <laughs> I kind of sound like that I can sound like that sometimes so people always pin you as kind of being bitsy and dumb but it's like Kelsey really kind of just showed her own and she was like not only just like in general very bright but she was very observant as well it's like oh no you're pregnant I can tell you're pregnant and you know it's like whatever you want to do that's fine I feel like that was like really something Coco needed because Coco didn't know what she was going to do neither. Right. Sometimes just having someone who you can, it's like, Hey, I'm going to support you physically and emotionally right now. And fine by me. I just want to make sure that you're feeling safe and supported is like really something you need. Because like I said, I was terrified and I was 27. These are young women in their early twenties. If they're even in their twenties yet, who are, dealing with you know the how am I going to figure out the rest of my life with this baby do I even really want to have this baby do I feel right not having this baby and there's just there's so many how am I going to support this baby? there's so many questions you have to deal with when you're being faced with an unplanned pregnancy and I just love that like Kelsey just really came through when she was just like that foundation of like calm for her and it was funny because it's like Coco is obviously like more of a very private reserve. She likes to look like she has everything together. But obviously this keeping the secret was making was her fall her. apart. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't have nobody she could just talk to it about. She damn sure didn't want to go to Troy about it. Um, you know, initially, no spoilers there, but you know, it's like it was just like a sense of calm. And I think that happens to a lot of us in our lives, like 
sometimes the person who you least expect to be like someone who just really supports you is like that one who really comes through for you. Right. And I, I, I really appreciated that because it was just like, wow. Because that's how my roommate was with me. It was just like, hey, you know what? We're going to figure this out. And this is what's going on. And, you know, feel how you feel. But do you need some tea? How are you feeling? Do you need some food? Do you need some water? Like, let's just keep you, whatever it is, let's just keep you calm and relaxed and supported. So I, I felt that and I liked that a lot. And there was also the idea of, you know, Coco having to figure out, like you said, having to figure out her life, but figure out her political life. And it was really hammering home the notion that people don't understand that women have to make these type of choices when they make decisions of whether or not to you know, continue with the pregnancy or not, because she goes into that whole, she goes into basically a whole fantasy, um, which no one really knows is a fantasy until it ends. Um, Right. right, When she talks about, you know, where you're basically seeing what she would, would have done or what her life would be like if she did go ahead and leave school. And I really thought she, I almost cried the first time I saw it. I thought she really was. I was like, we really about to lose Coco. And it was a nice little, little fantasy. I mean, it had her having a child and the child is a straight A student and the child gets to come back to Winchester and Troy is no longer a drunk and addicted to mushrooms and, you know, he's still out fuck he's still out fucking hell of the women, but I mean they have a clearly there, you know. I, I, think, I think I think he mentions he mentioned that him and his it's like what's her name? And he said like a name. He said, We're having a boy. So he's having more children. More, more children. But that's kinda that that happens when you have kids when you're like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. It's like your kids, that first initial baby that you have is like a full adult and you're having another, another baby. Set of kids. Yep. I, Right. I I am like that. My I was two years old at my sister's high school graduation. Wow. So, yep. Yeah, my mom and her. So my sister has me and her other littler sister, but she's older than me by two years. So we're it's like, here's this woman graduating, heading off to college, and she has a four-year-old and a two-year-old little sister because little sisters because her parents initially had her when they were 18 and 19 years old and both went on moved you know the relationship didn't work out and they went and got married to other people and had more children when she was like like 14 and 16 so yeah that happens. It happens. I, I was just happy to see that it was a, a, a flash forward and that it wasn't real. She, you know, she decided to choose herself, which was a very important, a very important point in the narrative. On to episode five, which was really my favorite episode. And I'm so sad that B. Willis had to dip out because her assessment of this Hotep episode was like so on point. Um, you know so it basically starts with examining how joelle was always you know number one in high school she was an amazing academic she was an amazing singer and how life changed for her when she came to this pwi you know she at the beginning she's in high school singing the the black national anthem and she's proud and then she gets to the pwi where the all-white choir is singing it and telling her that she has to mute her voice and she has to take a back seat to Sam, who has her own show, not unlike the C-Dub show. And Sam doesn't even hardly let her talk. And people, she's just always taking back seat to Sam. She doesn't like bringing guys around because people see Sam and decide that they, you know, it's a wrap. They like Sam now. 
So it really starts deconstructing that idea of colorism between the two of them. But that she finally finds finds a guy and she likes this guy. And then in the big reveal, he's a hotep. She got got by a hotep. And when I read um, B. Willis, she was, <laughs> what'd you say? They get you. They get- it's like, it's <laughs> cool at first. And all of a sudden it's like, welfare is the reason the black family is like, oh, and you're okay. like, wait, wait, let me play her, her realization moment because it was, it was hilarious. Wait, hold on. I really wish that B. Willis was here, bro. Oh my goodness. But here it is. Joelle, you know you're a queen, don't you? Wait a minute, queen like Nubian queen or like Queen Latifah? Nubian. You are better than this place. Oh, no. I can break down the whole world for you right now. Just keep proving them right, brother. As soon as you wake up and realize they're never going to give it to us. You got more conspiracy theories than that dude with the hair who believes aliens built the pyramids. They might have. You have an obsession with power. You just threw the F word around like you're in England looking for a smoke. Oh, no. No, 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 no. The music in the background. (laughs) Trevor, are you a hotep? Hotep is Egyptian for peace. God damn it. How could I not see this before I got got by a hotep? Oh, hey, Joe, is everything okay? Everything's fine. I was talking to my friend. Yeah, we're trying to have a conversation. African-American. Don't talk to her like that. But you're going to kowtow to your mind. Whoa, you did not just say that. Joel. Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, you left us at the Law Lounge the other day. Thank you. I tried to text you. Um, you guys have been hanging out. Um, he just had some questions and we decided to get coffee. Ten times. What? Sure. Sam, the Young Republicans just booked Ricky Carter. Get the fuck out of here. You know what? I don't think this is going to work. I mean, you take orders from that one, sneak around with this one. Yeah, I think I misjudged you. Yo, bruh. What makes you think you could even step to Joel with this shit? She a real one, she ain't property. Well, she acts like it. You all do. With your skinny jean wearing, identity politicking, designer shoe addicted asses. Okay, listen, you know what, King? Let me tell you. I got this. Oh, let's take down the black man. Oh, you think the black man has a monopoly on suffering? You have no clue what black women go through, and it's probably because you can't get close to one because you're fucking whack. We deal with the same shit society heaps on you and then turn around and deal with all the shit you heap on us. So why don't you take yourself aggrandizing, overcompensating, dusty ass back to Webster House? You know what? Fuck all of this. Because all you do is defend fags and dudes wearing dresses that want to be called she. And then this uppity bitch wants to take down black men, the most disrespected, disenfranchised group that constantly takes the back seat. Take a back seat. This Perfect. That was a perfect deconstruction of the relationship with black women and hoteps, don't you think? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> everything, you wanting everyone to be free is destroying me, the straight, cisgender black man who is just a king. Hard. No one recognizes my royalty. Like, oh, shut the fuck up. When he said that the black man is the most disenfranchised, yes. I said, wait, wait, wait. But they really went there. They put all of it. They, look, they laid it all out there. They laid it all out. But, like, that's out. what niggas really think. It's, yeah. like, if you're disen... Like, I don't understand, like, the disconnect that happens, like, whenever you try to explain sexism to a black man and how that affects black women, like the intersection of racism and sexism. And I don't understand why white women have that issue understanding racism. But I, I, I actually, I know why. Let me stop lying. They both don't give a fuck. 
essentially. Really, pretty much. They both. For them to acknowledge, like, for them to acknowledge either one of those, whether it's racism or sexism, it would acknowledge that they are not the most disenfranchised, and they can't have that. They they have to feel like there is no one being more disenfranchised or oppressed than them. I don't know why though, and I feel like that's really weird. Like because it's like okay, I see like my myself. I'm a black woman. But I'm straight. I'm basically a Christian. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, because it's not like I'm a Christian. Like I don't, because I feel like God gonna be like, "Girl, let's not do this." So it's like I believe in the you know Judeo Christian God. I believe Jesus was a man that was here, and he kicked it, and he died for us. I believe all of that. And it's like, you know, I'm slightly overweight, but it's like in general, one, it's like I am, I have like numerous privileges. Like, you know, I'm an American citizen. I speak, uh, what is it called? Standard English. Oh, yes. You know, because speaking standard English <laughs> I, I is the only way. Right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm. I am black, but I'm also not super light where I would pass, but I'm also not scrutinized for being too dark. I'm what someone would consider if I'm not, even if I'm not specifically your type, I'm traditionally attractive. I have traditional uh, physical ability. So it's like, I have several privileges. Oh, I'm straight. Like I have several privileges that allow me not where other people are being extremely oppressed, especially if you want to talk about black people who are non-Christian, who are in the LGBTQ. Oh, I'm cisgender. Like there's, there's lots of stuff that it's like, yeah, there's definitely people who are way more oppressed than me. Mm -hmm. And granted, I get a lot of shit, but there's definitely people getting way more shit than I am. So it's like, how do you, Oh, like if you want to be free, like, you got to make sure everybody who's getting shit way worse, like, we'll cover everybody. If we cover who's getting shit the worst, you'll free everybody. Everybody will get covered by that. Right. You, we'll all but why fine. do people not understand so I that? <laughs> I don't get that. Like, if we make it wonderful for trans black women to just exist and for them to be safe and uplifted, how, like... As, that means me as a non-trans, not non-trans, but as a cisgender woman, that means it. I'm going to be good too. <laughs> right. Like, right. But you can't, but like you can't get them to understand that. It's like, it's like if you, it's like if you have a glass of water, right? And you know, you up here at the top of the glass, if you, no, that doesn't work. That analogy doesn't work. Okay, you drinking? You trying to come up with analogies and you're drunk? No, I'm not drunk. I had just had this analogy and it worked at first, but then when I verbalized it, it did not work. But I just, I don't (laughs) get how it's like, you, and it's, it also seems weird because it's like, it seems like all these hoteps have at least one black woman that they regard in their life. And it's like, don't you want to make sure things are good for her too? Nope. Like. Because 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 to them because to to them she is the reason why they got these fucking problems. I told you I went through this with a ho- with a, a jailhouse hotel tip, and I'm I need us as, as a community to figure out how we letting our men get sent to prison and they're not even getting like you know we have boys in our system who don't want to read, but you know we get they get to jail they start reading and now they they going around telling people that they are the most marginalized and that they've been sitting in jail reading books and I'm like look sir. 
as I don't I don't know. The last couple of days I've been having these conversations with people as you as you witnessed on my Facebook page and it started to be very exhausting. Y'all I, I <laughs> thought that was an interesting term that you coined though. A, a educational, educational fragility. Educational fragility. Because it's like I feel like that um I also wait with the guy remind me again, did he go to um the hotel that was messing with Joel? He went to the school too, right? Yeah, he lived in, he went to the school, but he said that he didn't want to live at AP because the black experience was already hard enough. He didn't feel like talking about it every day. Well, now that is not a hotel thing because hotels love to talk about the black experience. So that is probably what threw but her then, off. But then it's like there's sometimes there's like a hybrid hotel where they're for like like it's like um it's kind of like what homegirl did because it's like an intersection between like trying to assimilate perfectly with white supremacy. They think like if you assimilate perfectly into white supremacy, like we can like mute it kind of. Right. There's like some version of Hotep where it's not like they want black supremacy. They still uphold white supremacy, but then they want like blacks they to want achieve white supremacy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And to, so and to achieve white supremacy, to achieve white supremacy, well, black men are already in proximity to it. So if they achieve, it's like it's like in the gay community. We talk about white gay men and you know white supremacy. They think that by getting the the right to marry, that you know the struggle is over. Yay, gays! No, it's actually not. And the same thing with black men and white supremacy. They have they are in so such closer proximity to it. If we could just give them full white supremacy, you know, status. That'd be all right. We would all be all right to them. Support the black man and we'll all be all right, according to them. On to episode six. Episode six is the episode where Lionel, actually, he's kind of put down Silvio. Then he's picked up the new young man who I believe his name is George. But Silvio convinces him that they can restart an underground newspaper and brings back Brooke. If you remember Brooke, Brooke last season only had a little bit of a character. You only saw her bits and pieces at the newspaper office. But she was the super duper overachieving black woman who apparently never left the office. <laughs> and, and this season she is she is hilarious Brooke is so fucking funny to me but she is so real because they talk about how she's a cat lady with no cats but it's basically also do you feel like the way that they present Brooke is like a I don't know she works very hard because black women have to but it's like making a joke about how hard she has to work and the fact that she goes out and like she is like has like superpowers she works so hard she like can be in two places at once like <laughs> like she knows everything before every, anybody does it do you think it I mean it's a satirical show so obviously there's a bit of comedy to it did any of that ring a bit sour to you or was it just all bitter truth um I know I, I think um, I wouldn't consider myself like an overachiever in the traditional sense, but I think I work very hard. But there's there's a difference to me between like Brooke is neurotic, right? Like, there's a difference <laughs> between working hard and like you know trying to make sure you're on top of the game and taking advantage of every single opportunity that might be introduced to you and not waiting around and letting people you know giving people waiting around waiting waiting around to see if someone's going to give you an opportunity she takes it 
there's a difference between that and being like a complete like neurotic weirdo and that's kind of like the shit Brooke is on because it's like why are you extra just percolated all the time calm down can I play this scene where she finally comes on to Lionel? Wait, because this scene was hilarious to me. Wait, hold one moment. I like that. <sighs> I really blew it. Yeah, I blame you as well. I'm sorry. Force of habit. Not the story. Although that's not going well either. We need to clear our minds. found that whole scene hilarious um at this point they're actually trying to figure out who ivw is and following through with lionel's view that there are there is some secret society that's secretly running winchester um so yeah that was that episode i found it to be it's a bit cute um and it still goes into this whole idea now reggie and troy are like great friends it's all a little bit weird sylvia doesn't want them um researching it and then oh that's when we have the second big reveal that's when we have the big reveal about silvio being alt ivw um so let's listen to silvio's speech about why he started trolling sam party wouldn't have happened at all if she hadn't Troy's a legacy it. kid and student body president. How is he a victim? A story about an internet troll? Could be a fool's errand. This joint's dying faster than democracy. Oh my god. Why? Wake up, Lionel. Campuses used to be bastions of free speech. Now they're just places for whiny rich kids playing who's the most offended in your trigger warning violated my safe space. We're here to learn and face new ideas. I have the balls to stand up for that. And hide your face? Yeah, because this campus can't handle opposing thought. But they feel it. Everything I post gets more likes and reposts than anything I put in the independent. The crazier, the better. So this is all about the likes? Okay, maybe at first. But I've tapped into something so many people are feeling and they're shamed into hiding it. That's bullshit. If Sam White gets a platform for her ideas, why shouldn't they? What happened to our old pal, the First Amendment? So, so tell me something. Well, do you know the kind of people you've emboldened here? How could you do that? You're gay. Yeah. Just because I'm not white and straight doesn't mean I'm beholden to the left in their bullshit identity politics. 
sorry, not sorry. You remind me. So, yeah, the whole idea of the fact of it being a white passing non-black man who's actually trolling black people. A, a, a white passing non-black gay man who's trolling black people. That was mind blowing for me. But it was absolutely appropriate, don't you think? Yeah, because, I mean, I definitely, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't surprised at his, um, the statement that he made in the rant about how I might be gay, but I don't adhere to, you know, the left and their identity politics. Because people incorrectly assume because someone is a part of um, of a press marginalized group, Black, maybe Latino, LGBTQIA community, that they honestly have liberal ideals. And that is not correct. There are many... Especially if we want to talk about non-black, non-black. gay folks. Right. Especially non-black gay men. Um, there, a lot of them are very, would probably identify more leaning towards the right. Especially when it comes to issues like immigration, mm-hmm. um, fiscal conservatism, all that type of stuff. There, there are a lot, and it's like they just happen to be gay. And yeah, they were, their right to marry was rejected by their party in a sense but you know you know how white folks do white folks is you they they unite under whiteness so it's like yeah when it comes to policy and things that are strategically possibly going to leave out black and brown people but then still uplift white people white people get down with that shit no matter if they're in a marginalized group even if it's like they totally just told y'all y'all couldn't get married. Right. Y'all tri- like you said, oh, well, we can get married, so it's all good now. So they go back to supporting like, the support same fuck shit that, that from the right. And, so, it, yeah. And then I, you I, have, And then you have the fact of him being a non-black white passing man. It's just, it's basic, it's basic, very basic anti-blackness. Like, and, and it's something that I run into all the time. And I think that it's something that we're starting to, people are starting to kind of uncover the layers. Um, but you have a lot of, well, I shouldn't even say just the white passing non-black people. It's people who ain't passing for white, who are very openly or very visually non-black, but people of color who, you know, buy into anti-black. You know, they say anti-blackness is the solve, is how you solve racism because everybody can unite under anti-blackness. It's like if I get my rights, right. but y'all still, you know, as long as I don't align myself with, with, with the colors, with, not even the colors, with the blacks, and you give me my rights, then I'm okay, which is kind of basically what Sylvia was saying. You know, I might be, you know, non-white and I might be gay, but I'm basically, he, the only people he trolled was black people, whether it was black gay people, whether it was black men, whether it was black women. He was, one thing we found out throughout the season, he was trolling all the black people. It made right. perfect sense to me. It was just, it, well, actually, I shouldn't say it was mind-blowing because I kind of figured out it was Silvio about two episodes, two or three episodes before the reveal. I was The thing that did surprise me, though, is that how calmly Lionel took it and it didn't really blow up. And kind of jumping towards the end of the series or the end of the season, that was one thing that I didn't like about the season is that it ends on such a, it does end on another big reveal. But for people of a certain age, they don't even get the reveal. <laughs> so for people who right. haven't seen school days they don't get the reveal so there's really nothing explosive nothing mind-blowing nothing special to me that happens 
um, towards the end of the season. Let's go on into episode... Was this episode? Yes, Troy's episode. Episode 7. Troy's episode is weird, mostly because it's from Troy's perspective. And by this point, Troy has gotten high on mushrooms. Um, <laughs> so he's trying to find himself. He's having his Don Lemon moment. And for me, the funniest thing that happens is... Wait, let's see. So he goes to do comedy night at the comedy shop. There's a scene a couple of episodes before where he meets with the quote unquote, the top tier of the black elite from Winchester, which is his father and three others clouded black figures. And they talk about what it takes to get to the top and how they 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 themselves plot out his moves on campus to basically plot his ascension into power. And all the work that they had to do building the foundation of this power that he has. But now that he has basically decided he does not want that to be that legacy kid. He's trying to find himself. He goes to try and do comedy. He bombs at comedy. Um, and ends up in bed with another white girl. And he's like, I can't even fuck it away. It's like, Troy, you keep coming back to that fuckboy narrative. But okay. Um, and wait, where did he get the shrooms from? I forget where he gets the shroom. So he spends the whole episode going back to members of the cast to talk about what they think of him. Um, he talks about Reggie and Reggie. They all tell him basically the same thing. You're always, the only thing you're concerned about is what people think of you and how people see you. Um, what did you think of Troy trying to find himself in his Don Lemon moment? Because he is Don Lemon. Oh, I mean. That's pretty standard. I mean, I didn't expect him. You didn't expect him to what? I didn't really expect him to, like, I'm trying to, I feel like I don't really remember that part. Did I fall asleep on? You know, the Troy episode is is not uneventful, but Troy didn't really, his part was kind of, aside from him finding himself, he was kind of detached from the majority of the narrative. And I, now that you're yeah, saying that, I thought it was just me. I, really I feel like he didn't like, like how all of the stories like intersected with like all the other characters. Uh -huh. But like, obviously one character would be like the focal point of it. Uh -huh. And then like, they would intersect. Um, he would be there. Like he was there when... When yeah, Reggie I feel like he hit was like him, a but, background character. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he just didn't. I'm like, I can't really remember. I feel like the narrative of Troy trying to find himself is something that maybe I just can't identify with. Like, I mean, his story is what I, I keep saying is the Don Lemon. He really is the, the President Obama of the of the story. And it's it's the narrative that, you know, I, I don't have that type of background. I'm not a legacy kid. Um, you know, I, I've never, I mean, I've had to find myself, but not the type of finding myself where, well, maybe I have, I mean, as a, a person who grew do I up, not re do I not remember? Um, you might not. I mean, as a person who grew up in the black church, mom, mom left, right? Yeah. It was just him okay. and his dad. I mean, as a person who grew up in the black church and you, in, in, a, in some ways, I wouldn't say that you have your life plotted out, but you kind of do. I was a leader. You know, in school, I was a leader in church. You know, it was always pretty much presumed that I would grow up and get an education and probably marry some preacher or something and, 
and have some kids and that was going to be my life. And that didn't turn out to be my life. I did have to find myself. And in that respect, I guess I can identify with Troy. But otherwise, I mean, to me, the most important thing that happens in the Troy story comes in when he has on his shrooms. He has a run in. So Sorbet the dog. Sorbet is Kelsey's dog who got kidnapped at the end of season one. And throughout season two, you have these run-ins with them trying to find Sorbet. And they find him several, they find Sorbet several times, but he always gets away. And at one point, Lionel says, how come every time I find a, a, you know, a hole in the story, Sorbet shows up? So Sorbet does show up in, in, um, Choi's story. And it's interesting to hear who, uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Okay, are you still what there, happened? Courtney? Yeah, why? What happened? Uh oh. We're going to keep recording. What's going on? Oh boy. Uh oh. Lord Jesus. We're going to keep recording and hopefully we didn't, I didn't just jack up this whole episode. Okay. So the interesting thing that happens is who they have playing Reggie's, I'm sorry, Sorbet's voice. And I'm going to see if you, Courtney, can identify it. Hold on one moment. For a life vest. I only keep one Troy. Can you hear it, Courtney? It's taken. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Keep playing it. All right, I am. Oh, shit. Sorbet, is that you? Don't be so hard on yourself, Troy. Society doesn't reward <coughs> introspection in black men. In my 18 months on this earth, I've noticed black masculinity left unfettered can grow toxic like a tumor. I have a tumor? Troy, focus. The real question is, who are you when all of that is removed? Are you just a body like Coco suggests? Are you your feelings like the one Sam felt for you? Are you made up of the thoughts of others as Reggie implied? Or are you pure <coughs> consciousness? Uh. You're none of them. If you were your body, you'd have more control over your sex capades. If you were your feelings or thoughts, you wouldn't have to constantly numb them. And as far as pure consciousness, all it took was some stems and caps. And here you are talking to a dog. Then why would you give me a multiple choice question if there's no answer? I've already said too much. We're not even supposed to talk to you. <laughs> so, do you know who that is? Courtney? Oh, I'm still here. Did you, do you know who that is? That is Loretta Divine. It is. I recognize her voice <laughs> anywhere. I love, so I love her voice. It is so soothing for me to listen to. Um, you know, like the most recent thing that I watched that she was in was the Carmichael show. Yes. And even when she would just like raise her voice and get hysterical with like David <laughs> Allen Greer, who's playing her husband. It's like her voice just has like this really, it's like always smooth. And I just love how it's set. Like it never, even when she gets upset it, and like she's, <laughs> and she often gets upset, especially when yes. she's playing like a mother. She, she, she gets elevated, but it's always so smooth. And I love listening to her voice. Out of I all the black voice. mothers, it's between her and Jennifer Lewis. They are like the quintessential black mamas. 
because I feel like they were never young. Never. They've always been at least 45 (laughs) years old since I've been a child. They, but like Jennifer Lewis has to be like pushing 70. I think she is. she, She has to be. They both have to be actually, because it's like, you've been a mom my whole life. My whole like you were never life. like they just started like trying to throw Halle Berry into like mom roles and it's like please don't do that's that. Not, that's not just working retire. out. <laughs> yeah, that's not retired. But even when Loretta Devine when she would be in when she was in the Carmichael show when she would like we would say when she would have a nervous breakdown that would be such a black mom moment. Like oh I just can't take it. My nerves. That's <laughs> right. Oh, she's always she's always like exhaling but like making a noise sound effect with it. Oh, oh Lord! <laughs> oh my goodness! So that to me, that was the best part of Troy's episode was Loretta Devine playing the dog um, coming in because he needs a black mom in his life. Because I was about to say, like, where is his mom? Did I miss them discussing her? Well, I thought they said she left, but they don't ever really discuss her. They don't discuss why she left, when she left, and I'm starting to think that his mom might be white. I don't know why I think that. <sighs> You know, that, that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting. Oh, you know what he, he did say when he was like, if my dad was as hard as a husband as he was a wife, I can see why my mom left. But that was like in the first season. He, but no one, there's no, I think they should, I I want to see more of a flashback. Like I didn't want to see Sam's flashback with her white dad. I yeah. want to see like the more problematic characters flashing back. Like there's a few, Troy's had a few flashbacks. Um, showing just his dad being a hard ass, but I want to know what happened to his mom. And I, but I feel like next season, you know, it's one of those things where you feel like the next season they may, but we might not ever get Troy's mom. I can't think of any context in in which they would, unless they go more into his character, because they don't. This season they didn't really give us much of him except for his inner conflict, which. I wanted to care more about it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say maybe because I don't identify with it, I just, I couldn't connect with it. That's, I can't think of any other reason because his narrative just it wasn't it was interesting to see all his reasons for for actually for fucking around because every time he had a problem he would go out and have sex and I'll be honest Courtney to tell you the truth whenever I'm have problems or whenever I'm just really stressed out sex is always like you know the, the reliever so was that too much information no. Not for this show. Oh, my God. Okay. On to episode eight. So, episode eight. Let's see. Is this the the Gabe episode? Because, as as I stated earlier, I'm not a huge fan of the Gabe episode. Is this? It is the Gabe episode. So, Gabe and Sam agree. So, one thing we did mention, forget to mention earlier, Gabe is doing a documentary called Am I a Racist? Um, which Sam succinctly sums up is basically saying the same stuff that she is saying about white people, but because it's coming from him, is being hailed as revolutionary and trailblazing and really doing the work, whereas she is being being um, yelled at as being an angry, bitter black woman and being trolled, and people are calling her an ape and calling her mom and are saying her white dad impregnated an ape and. And you know, trolling her parents and sending them sending letters talking about her her final days and all this kind of stuff. And he's being triumph held as a, a triumph of racial equality and the way that you should really have these conversations. So, Gabe 
has been interviewing all the black people. He interviewed Reggie. He interviewed Joel. Actually, he's been having secret meetings with Joel, which Sam doesn't find out about until the Hotep episode. He's been having secret meetings with Joel. Um, and he finally gets a chance to interview Sam for his documentary. They agreed to interview each other. So he's interviewing her on camera. She's interviewing him live on Dear White People. And it just becomes... Courtney, what, what, I know we went into his one, but give us, give me just your opinion of this episode once again, because I didn't really have much for it. Every time I watch this season, like I said, I've seen it five times and I skipped this episode. I don't, I don't have no need really for it. it. There's like certain, like if I watch certain episodes on my way to sleep, I don't remember them. I don't, and I think that's what made me fall asleep because it wasn't no, like, yeah. I feel like there was no meat to it. It was just her crying to Gabe about her daddy and about being a black woman and what he didn't understand. And as if it was almost like it was written because black women need for white men to understand what it's like to be them. And I just, it didn't do nothing for me. I could have did without it. I, but like B. Willis said, the Gabe character represents our complicated relationship with white people in our communities, I guess. And I guess for some reason it was necessary. And we just go leave that there. We don't have to go into that no further. Episode nine. So at the end of episode eight, it is revealed that Sam's father is actually very sick. They never say what's wrong with him. I don't think. I can't remember. He's very sick and that any day he may pass away. At the end of episode eight, Joelle does come in to tell her that her, that she does have to go home. Her father has passed away. Um, this episode nine was a great episode to me because once again, it shows bonding and sisterhood amongst black women. Even when, you know, we have opposing political views, we still have a very specific type of sisterhood bond. Um, you have Joelle who does, of course, take Sam home for her father's funeral and Coco who insists that she goes home because as we continue to forget, Coco and Sam were once great friends. Coco is actually friends with Sam's entire family and as we later find out has been talking to her father quite frequently um so what was your take on the the before we even get to the relationship between sam and her mom and her dad just that whole sisterhood road trip aspect between this the those three young ladies this is the first time we actually had any scenes outside of winchester so that was interesting to see but what was your take on the sisterhood bond between the three young ladies i don't think i got that far Oh, okay. That means you almost made it. Well, my take was just that it was amazing. I didn't, I did not expect that from Coco and Sam. Um, and I'm, I was glad to see their relationship actually start to mend itself because their relationship was so polarizing in season one. I didn't think that the writers would let them get to, even in the beginning of season two, they, they were very still staunchly opposing to each other even when it came down to core putting out the money to bring Carson Rhodes to campus which by the way we neglected to mention that um core did put out the money to bring Carson Rhodes to campus the young republicans bring Ricky Carter to campus who is a young um right wing political pundit played by Tessa Thompson who we love on the CW show she wrote she comes back to the cast who she of course originated the role of Sam White she plays Ricky Carter in this um this season of dear white people and when we get to that scene that was an amazing scene to me as well um but those two young ladies sit on the opposite side sam and 
Coco sit on the opposite side of the political spectrum, but they do start to mend their relationship. And I was happy to see that they at least give that sort of hope um, for the relationships of young women. So they go home to visit Sam's family, which is so funny because her mom's side of the family is hella black. And her dad's side of the family is hella white. Like, there is no in-between of the two. Her mom is played by, drumroll, Wendy Raquel Robinson, who we all know as Tasha Mack. And we also talked about a couple of episodes as Principal Greer on the Steve Harvey show. I thought that was a very funny casting choice. Um... I don't know if, you know, people who don't watch the game will find it to be hilarious. But for me, having Tasha Mack play this, you know, middle class woman who married a white woman was actually hilarious to me. Um, but the the episode centers around Sam's relationship with her dad. And her trying to come to terms with the type of man that he was and the type of woman that she became. Um, and... It was really weird because it was like, they talk about how her father, when she, when her father met her mother, they met in the 90s, and her mother was obsessed with, with a young Shaquille O'Neal, and how she wouldn't, <laughs> her mother was obsessed with a young Shaquille O'Neal, and would not give this, you know, white dude a chance, and how he finally, she finally did, and they fell in love. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and the family, it was so funny. Their family does have those same opposing political views. But the way that they try to spin it is that the dad did as well. The dad actually did not have the same political views as his family. Um, but they, uh, they also talk about the fact that her mother lost her relationship with her family when they got married. Um, but they center it kind of around... How he never, he didn't try and give her any type of, what shall we say, whitewashed or colorblind views of life. But I don't think he really gave her any guidance in that respect. I don't think her mom did either. They don't really get into that. It was a very complex episode. I'm sorry that you didn't get a chance to see it. Oh, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, 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 I need you to watch it and then check back in next week. It was a very interesting episode, though, because also her mom kept from her the fact that her dad was actually in the hospital. Her mom knew that her dad was dying, and she never told her. And I think, and so they flash back to the conversation at the beginning of the season, where she was too busy being embroiled in the, the troll battle with all IVW to actually talk to her dad. It's a really complex relationship between all three of them. Because even though Mrs. White is not, of course, as black as Tasha Mack, she is very much a Michelle Obama type, you know, African-American woman. She lives in this middle class, very suburban, um, you know, living or house or lifestyle or neighborhood. But, you know, she's not one of those women who has actually, you know, dropped her blackness. You can tell that even being married to this very, very super duper oatmeal white, white man. Um, so, yeah, it was a cute episode. Huh? about people thinking that oatmeal is white people food like yeah what? well i mean i to me i mean even though my cousins grew up eating it but i don't know i just always equated grits with black people i mean i've always equated i didn't know i didn't know white people ate grits until for some reason i was watching 
for some reason I was watching this documentary on Britney Spears and her dad was making her breakfast and he was making Britney cheese grits with salt and pepper and shrimp. And he said grits is the breakfast of champions for Southern girls. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? Britney ass out here eating grits? Like who? She is from Kenner, Louisiana. Who? Yeah. I'm like, but that's, I'm like, Southern black people, Southern, Southern black people and Southern white people have like very similar food um, choices. White people out here in California, like they, they, their food choices are annoying. And then if they can't partake in the food, they call the police on you for using charcoal grills. Right. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you recall like uh, last year when Disney, maybe it was 2016, Disney uh, released that um, that silly ass video with the gumbo claiming and it had like yes quinoa yes. a bunch of weird shit in it and everybody was like yeah this the uh this that uh that type of uh gumbo this tiana's gumbo and everybody lost everybody east of the mississippi lost their shit right and black people everywhere but white people were like whose gumbo is this that is not our gumbo that's not nobody's gumbo. Like, Tiana's supposed to be from New Orleans. All the white people from New Orleans were talking about, oh, you know, what, 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 what are, are you, they doing? Uh-oh, what's going I'm on? I'm trying to find a fucking park, and then, like, like, what are you doing? Like, you over here pulling up, be here. Yeah, I'm going to just park here. So, yeah, every, white folks was like, oh, no, baby, what is you doing? Like, that's not anyone's gumbo. Nobody makes gumbo like that, ever. That's not gumbo. This is like vegetable soup with shrimp. What is this? It's bad business is what it is. Well, anyway, so last episode, episode 10 um, of dear white people, the young ladies head back to Winchester, and they're heading back to. So Carson Rose has actually had to back out. Um, so the only person who will be appearing is Ricky Carter, and so the African American caucus is kind of in an uproar. They don't really know what to do. Sam is kind of in a tailspin because she has received some information about her dad that she doesn't really reveal until the end of this episode. Um. But most importantly, in this scene, this episode, we get the scene between the old Sam White and the new Sam White. And it is utter brilliance. Um, one reviewer talked about how it was basically the, a funhouse view for Sam of who she can become. There's a, there's a line that Ricky Carter, played by Tessa Thompson, gives at the end where she says, the only thing that's different about you and me is time. And she talks about how, you know, you do start, you start your career basically telling truths and then you start kind of changing and shaping around the fame that comes with telling those truths out loud. And, you know, and that's when you become who she is, who is a very far right wing political leftist, I'm sorry, political right winger in public, but that's because that's how she gets clicks and views. Um, but I did want to play a bit of 
be running between the old Sam White and the new Sam White. So hold your horses one moment. Here we go. Is it weird that I'm kind of fangirling right now? It's weird, right? Sorry. (laughs) Once I got through that uninspired dear right people dribble on the plane over, I completely rabbit holed into your show. God, you've got talent. Thank you. And I love the character. She's sister girl, but can articulate the fuck out of a multisyllabic synonym. Genius. She is not a character. I am oh, not yet, but give her time, hon. Keep building up a following online. Maybe get a few bookings in the local news circuit. In no time, you'll be on cable. What are you talking about? It's so easy nowadays. Just wait for a shooting. Any kind will do. An armed black teen, a school, a church, or wherever the next misogynistic white lunatic decides to unload his guns, just hop on that talking head train, because when the world gets hold of her, game over. You sure there's gonna be... The big fish is the book deal, of course. That's where you concretize her, put her on record to be quoted and echoed into a future where you'll scarcely remember the girl who wrote the damn thing. Hey, maybe we could start a feud and release our books the same month. Carson and I did. With all due respect, the fuck is wrong with you? That wasn't respectful at all. Why is there a Nielsen meter where your heart should be? Wait, I already know. I know exactly who you are. Of course you do. The only difference between you and me is time. Will you shut the fuck up and let me deliver this read I prepared? I do have an event coming up. Shit. I have rehearsed this in my head since the day I discovered you. Do you know what's historically been America's most popular form of entertainment besides porn? Menstruals. Ding, ding, ding. Tops in gross numbers and cultural influence. And they have never stopped putting us on the stage to dance for them. Doesn't matter what part you play. So long as the distraction helps those with the real power keep their fiefdoms nice and hidden. I'm not on a stage. You are literally on a stage. But I mean that metaphorically, too. How do you sleep at night? Indica dominant hybrid. And keeping in mind that I'm stacking these checks so I can build a goddamn kingdom of my own. Because in this country, all that matters is who holds the gold and owns the land and its many resources. I'm not like you. I have way too much honor. Please. You popped at a white college while espousing a philosophy that would have been only mildly interesting if this were an HBCU. I got my start arguing absurd right-wing views so I could win debate championships. So what? If you're good this week and I'm bad the next, what matters most is who is powerless and who is powerful. We both pick what worked for us because girls like us need to get from the former to the latter as soon as possible, by any means necessary. Are you serious? So that is the face-off between the two Sam Whites and... It was amazing. I was I was glad to see it. And I think that, you know, for us here at the C-Dub show who, you know, 
come on the show and give our thoughts on things which sometimes are fiery and passionate and as my mother stated earlier not always what some other people would think and then we spend a lot of time in the interwebs with people debating us on certain things I don't know it, it, uh, it we're, <laughs> right I don't know for me having us do this podcast watching that show was like wow it, it, anybody who does any type of Thing where they're into any type of public debate these days on social media should watch that episode to me because it does change you sometimes. So, yeah, that would in that a weird part of I think a weird part of doing like the show for me, but it's kind of like an outer body experience. And I have to admit, like, I listen to our show, but I have to like listen to it like not necessarily either in order or I listen to it weeks after it's been posted because I freak out hearing my own voice yes do you have do you have have that effect does it freak you out like watching us on live for some reason but listening to it is different yeah, listening to your own voice is kind of like a it's a weird outer body experience for me. And I think I still have like anxiety about how I articulate my thoughts. And um, like when people are like, oh, your Facebook posts are just so... I'm like, what? Don't fucking listen to me. Right. I'm fucking... Does it ever freak I'm you out when people different. are like, when people maybe talk, maybe in your inbox or see you in person, like, oh, yeah, you know, I like what you post online and you always speak the truth. And I'm like, please don't give me that because <laughs> right. I don't always please speak don't, the truth. That's I don't, what I tell people. I'm like, please don't gas me. Right. Please do not gas me. Like, I everything I say any. is not right. Like, even I had a friend, so I would say, you're like such a great trans ally. I'm like, please don't give me that. I am not. I have my own problematic shit. Right, like, I still be trying to unpack a lot of, like, anti-blackness just from, like, my youth. So, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that anybody who is trying to build any type of public presence, especially if it's any any sort of media, should watch that episode. Um, Because just to see the, the moment of realization for Sam, basically looking at herself and seeing where she could be in a couple of years and how she might not always be about the ideals and be, you know, we do have people who do what we do who are all about the clicks. People accuse, you know, I don't know about you, people accuse me about being all about the clicks when all I'm doing is just posting shit that I like. And is, <laughs> all all about the oh, all about the likes. All like, about the likes purpose. and the clicks, yeah. Um, um and the okay. checks. I don't have a check yet, so <laughs> we I don't have we don't have checks yet here at the C dub show. Um, so the big reveal does, of course, come at the end. So at the end, we find out that the young Republicans who were boasting about how they sold out their whole their whole event in just a few moments actually unknowingly sold all of their seats to the Black Caucus. So when Ricky Carter, after she, after she delivers that amazing read to Sam, she goes out on stage to deliver her speech and sees that it's all Black people in the audience. And it, like, totally throws her and Silvio who, as IBW, who no longer has to be in the shadows, was the the mastermind behind the event. And he thought that he had... So here's the interesting thing. He thought that he had Coco on board to get, 
you know, folks to this event. And Coco was actually the mastermind behind getting all the tickets sold to the Black Caucus, along with Kirk from Pastiche, who she's been fucking. So that's a whole nother, like B. Willis said, problematic relationship with white people. Um, but they, they, you know, do some, some technical fuckery and get all the tickets sold to the, the white people or the black people rather. So Ricky goes out and tries to deliver this problematic speech to black people and they're just kind of side eyeing her with no, you know, no emotion, no facial expressions, no talking, no nothing, just looking at her and she is scared shitless. Meanwhile, Lionel and Sam are all looking for the quote-unquote secret society of Winchester. And they do find a chamber under the fountain that Choi, which we didn't talk about, Choi had bathed himself like he was in the, the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Under the fountain, they found the secret society chamber, but they didn't find anything but Sorbet. Sorbet is there again in the chambers. Why is Sorbet there? But then finally, the leader of what well, we pre- presume the leader of the Order of X comes out of the shadows. It's Giancarlo Exposito, who is also the narrator of the show, better known to some of us of a certain age as Dean Big Brother Almighty from School Days. The end. For people who you too young have ever seen School Days, that was probably pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> but for me, it was awesome. And that was the season finale of or the season finale of Dear White People. What did you think of it overall, Courtney? Um, I still have to finish stuff up. So, but like I was feeling it. I thought, you know, I felt Sam on like getting trolled because I feel like people troll me. But apparently people are now trolling me on other people's shit. So there's that. Well, I think that they just trolling us. Which, you know, we should just, well, I would say give ourselves a a clap on the back because, you know, there was a time where people be like, oh, you getting trolled? Oh, you must be doing something right. But then you watch this this season and you're like, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe that's not what you want. But I digress. Go ahead, finish your thought. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. I um, I'm I'm still gonna finish it up. Um, School Days is one of my most favorite movies. I know you think I might be too young. I didn't say but that. School Days <laughs> is definitely one of like my all time favorite movies. I will watch it. Um, I actually had a. D- that an old roommate in Sacramento had left behind and I used to watch it pretty much like every three days because I just I loved it so much so um, that reveal would be climactic yeah, I'm, I'm climaxed right now <laughs> hearing about it you know it. what can you not say climax I told you I'm, my mind is in the gutter go on I mean, it is, and that's fine. So. <laughs> okay, well, I thought that it was a great season, even though it was pretty anticlimactic. Um, I thought that the character development was great. I liked the development of the, the the supporting cast. So the development of Kelsey, I think, was important. Um, and I think, I hope that now that we have seen a little bit of, of black gay Winchester between having Lionel coming into himself and now knowing that Kelsey is a, a lesbian woman, a, a Trinidadian lesbian woman, I hope that in season three that we get a bit more of that. Um, I hope we can get some kind of re- answers and resolutions about these relationships with problematic white people. Because, oh, you're out front. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I hope we can get some resolutions. 
Um, but but ov- overall, I thought it was a good season. I thought it was better than last season. Definitely better. I mean, last season was great. I think this one was even better well-written. Um, I think that, you know, the cues that they took from actually, you know, the Spike Lee School of Cinematography and really the throws to school days, I think actually did it, served it very well. I think that it's doing something. I mean, I love Grownish. I think that we talked a bit about the differences between Dear White People and Grownish earlier in the season of the C-Dub show. And I think that it's starting to continue to distinguish itself from Grownish, even though, even though they're both PWIs. I think that it is definitely dealing in with race in a much more mature way. So that's um, that's awesome. And I just look forward to volume three or season three, whatever it is that they call it. So that is the C-Dub show, Black Mamarific spoiler review of Dear White People. If you have not seen it, hopefully you log on to Netflix and you watch it and then tell us everything that you thought about it. Um, hit us in our email, the C-Dub show at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and debate us about it. Maybe not Courtney, but you can debate me. I might block you though. Don't. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't debate me. My life. <laughs> It's too complicated already. I'm done. I'm done with it. Because I thought I got rid of all who have killed a black. Wait, you, they you shift your back. Black I, are now following me. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and yeah, that was just. Wait, who's following you? No, I'm just saying, like, I thought I had, like, got rid of having to deal with people with problematic ideas about blackness because I, I basically am like you know what I've been talking about this shit now for like four years and I think there's like a lot of information out there so I feel like if you still are peddling anti-blackness it's because you want to uh-huh. and you're comfortable with that type of like mindset and, and all of that and I, I, I just don't I'm just not here to like educate people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, if anything, I'm, I'm focusing on people educating about constructive ways that they've um, white and ways that they have found um, programs and policy that can be created to uplift um, black and brown people. Like that's where my focus is now. Like I'm tired tired of trying to explain how white supremacy works. And how aligning ourselves with white people is not the answer or trying to adhere to the rules that white people have put on us, not the answer. So I'm I'm tired of that shit personally. So yeah. Well, where can the people find you in a safe space in the interwebs? <laughs> on Instagram, short <laughs> underscore short Courtney underscore. All right. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook, but just don't don't come to my page with no silly shit because um, I'm not in the mood for it. So Don't come for her unless she calls you, pretty much. Right, basically. Uh, all right, well, you can find me on Facebook as Dub Carolyn or Carolyn R. Weisinger. You can find me on Instagram as The Nocturnal Project and on Twitter as C-Dub The Host. You can find the C-Dub Show as the C-Dub Show across all social media platforms. And as I said, you can feel free to email us at thecdubshow at gmail.com. You can visit us directly at thecdubshow.com. 
um, and find all of our episodes. And of course, there is our main network page at SSNpodcast.com. So that is the C-Dub show for today. And we hope that you are going to enjoy the rest of your Mother's Day, Courtney. And I am. and enjoy your, you know, your baby daddy. And, <laughs> and we will see everyone later. Bye, everybody. Bye. That's my mama was recorded on tape before a live audience. The C-Dub Show.